There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Benched with Bubba. This is episode 32. And with MLB starting up in just a couple of days, I had to bring back my buddy. We talked about it earlier and uh, some last-minute fantasy baseball stuff, and more importantly, DFS talk. The one and only Yancey Eaton. You can find him on Twitter, at Yancey Eaton. You can find him on podcasts all over the world, but he has two of his own, Dear Mr. Fantasy and Pop Goes Your World, two quality, quality podcasts. But most importantly, Yancey, my man, how you doing tonight? I'm doing really good. It's a Thursday when we're recording this, and uh, – through my shed because I'm recording early enough that there is light. It's weird that we're recording early like this, but I really appreciate it just because my schedule's been so crazy. And I'm so excited because I'm on the cusp. I'm on like my vacation eve. I have one more day of work tomorrow. And then I always take off the first week of baseball. And uh, it's it's epic. I, I don't know what to call it. I need to call it something. But for a solid week, all I do is just stay at home and grill meat. I spent like $300 on meat in like Costco and Whole Foods the other day. I drink. I watch baseball. That's all I do. It just it goes down. I'm I'm, I'm super excited. I mean, DraftKings. They I mean, DraftKings and FanDuel. They have their lobbies open. There's contests. I have drafts going on almost every single day leading up until opening day. It's just this is seriously like my favorite time of the year, like 100. percent Well, to me, that sounds like a baseball fan's paradise. You don't even have to leave town. It's like the best staycation ever. So you 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 have it figured out, my friend. It's figured out. Yeah. Um. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see all your Twitter pictures of barbecuing. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> I can't tell if you're being facetious or not, but I'll go with that. I, I like to grill some meat. That's the only thing I know how to do. I don't cook. I don't make casseroles. I don't bake. I don't know how to make cookies. Uh, I just grill a lot of meat all the time, like three, four times a week, which may or may not be healthy. I'm not 100% sure, but no. it's my thing. So we're going to do it. I am not being facetious. I am 100% on board. I appreciate seeing the barbecue updates by Yancey. No joke in there. <laughs> But uh, let's get into some things. You mentioned you've been drafting almost every night. I've had like one or two drafts a week. I think I have one more left. I have to check. It's just gotten chaotic. But I know we talked a couple, you know, three, four weeks ago about some philosophies on drafting. Well, now I want to get with you. How has your your drafting been going? Your auctions been going? Like, are they going kind of as you would plan them? Or are you having to do a lot of bobbing and weaving? Like, what's what have you noticed like trend wise on your drafts? So average draft position, ADP, everybody knows 
kind of roughly what that means, but it doesn't mean that the same players are being taken around the same spots in every single draft. I've noticed in mine, just because uh, every single draft is a little different, there's a different level of, of players or different skills and different uh, you know scoring settings and stuff. Every single league is completely different. It, it really is. It's like a snowflake. There's no two drafts that are exactly the same. And having to adjust that on the fly, like whenever I go into an auction and I see immediately if there are people, you know, if there are players going for 55 you know, $59 right off the bat, I instantly know that I'm going to have to adjust. And I've seen a lot of that. Then I've been in other auctions and other drafts too, where players who I thought would have been, you know, I, I would I would expect, you know, a Clayton Kershaw to be $55 in some of these leagues, just because people don't mind, you know, p- paying the extra money for it. Sometimes it doesn't always work out like that. So adjusting on the fly has been key for me. I think we talked about that last podcast too, but every single one's been a little different. There's a, uh, there's been news that's come out and, you know, like with Matt Harvey, for instance, Matt Harvey's velocity all of a sudden spiked to like 97. He was touching 98 and then he flew up the ADP charts. All of a sudden he was getting picked 20, 25 picks higher. Um, Carlos Carrasco, though, has setbacks and all of a sudden his his ADP is plumbing. There's just a lot of stuff that's going on day by day. And that's kind of why I like waiting as late as possible to schedule my drafts, which I know that's it's not good advice now because most of the listeners are probably already drafted or they're drafting this weekend. But just keep that in the back pocket, guys. If you can schedule your drafts as late as humanly possible, do it. Because the more information you have, the absolute better. You won't get stuck holding a player like a Steven Matz, who I, I kept in a super, super deep league, and it's going to burn me. But um, I don't I don't really know how to end this. But uh, what other questions do you have? Yeah, no, um, I totally agree. I hate drafting early. I, for football, baseball, whatever fantasy world you live in, I hate drafting early because something always seems to happen, an injury – Heck, Dusty Baker today announces Blake Tryon, the third option essentially, is now the closer mm-hmm. for the Nats. Like everything that could go wrong can go wrong. So, yeah, the later the better. Um, what would you say? Because I know I've heard you talk elsewhere. Um, you have a bunch of you have dynasties, you have, you know, your home leagues, you have other leagues. What would you categorize like one of your best looking teams and one of your worst teams, like where it went wrong, just everything that could go wrong went wrong? Like, What's been good and bad? Um, I did an auction draft last night with Sammy Reed, Doug Thorburn, uh, Paul Spohr, and uh, a bunch of their listeners for the Baseball Hol- Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast. And um, I was pretty happy overall with it. And it was kind of a completely different team than I'm used to kind of auctioning off. Or I spent almost $150 on pitching, which, like I said, it's something I never, I've never chosen to do, you know, willingly. Um, are you still, by the way, Bye-bye. Do I still have you on your end, Bubba? Yeah, I got you. I'm getting some really bad uh, lag on my end. It froze, froze for a second, but no worries. Okay, cool. All right, my bad. Um, keep in mind, I am recording this in a shed, guys. So, uh, anyways, so in this, I uh, I got caught price enforcing basically very very early on, where I spent fifty dollars for Arenado, which was that was my target, and uh, you know this is one of those auctions where players, you know, there were five players that went for at least fifty dollars. And uh, so I wanted one of the big bats. I went and got Arenado. And then I got caught price enforcing on Max Scherzer where I threw him out for $30 and I got cricketed. And as soon as that happens, you always have like this sick feeling in your stomach where you're like, okay, did something happen that I didn't know about? And of course, they're a little worried about like his index finger, which I think is completely fine. But using that $30 on him, it basically set me back to where I had to completely realign. Like I was I was literally planning on spending like $35 on my pitching staff. Um, I ended up backing him up with Archer just because I, and then 
a bunch of, you know, middling, like a, like a Don Batances type thing. Cause it's a net safe plus holds league. And I spent so much money on my pitching that my hitting leaves a little bit to desire be desired. I mean, outside of Arenado, I don't have a ton of big bats, um, but it's one of the most interesting teams that I think I've ever drafted. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using a lot of platoon players. Like I got both sides of platoons. Um, it's just, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go about auctions. I feel particularly good about that one. Most of my other ones are keeper leagues, which, you know, I, I mean, I have leagues where I'm keeping Stanton, Votto, Kershaw, you know, all, all these, you know, power bats and power arms and stuff, but you still don't know whenever you're in a super deep league like that, literally anything can happen. But um, from a redraft standpoint, I've only done one and, uh, <laughs> I got the kiss of death, man. They uh, Yahoo projected me to finish first. I don't like whenever that happens because it's never portended well for me. I always end up doing really poorly. Um, and I'm one of those guys where like the last two or three drafts, I was drafting, like you said, Coda, Coda Glover, expecting him to be the closer. And look at that. Literally 12 hours later, he was announced as, you know, just like a regular setup guy. But um, all in all, I feel pretty good about my drafts. Uh, so you said you have done a couple too. So how many drafts are you looking at right now? I have done... Five or six at least. Um, I was going through some of them this morning, trying to look at waiver wires and see who was available. Apparently, I've, I drafted with sharper guys than I thought because Tryon was gone everywhere. Um, all the big moves. Wheeler's been drafted everywhere, which I'm not huge on Wheeler, but, heck, he's a starter in a deeper league. You never know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that just make me laugh when you look at stuff. But uh, most importantly, we'll get into this a little later, is – there's a lot of guys that did not get drafted that are going to be available and probably on teams within the first few weeks. But real quick, you were talking about auctions and it's been talked about a lot over the industry. And I know you like auctions a lot and you know this person very well. I just wanted to, it could be a quick opinion on this. Most people, and you've said it, like to kind of balance out their roster in an auction. You said you went a little differently mm-hmm. with your pitcher heavy auction this last time. Well, Paul Sporer at Tout Wars kind of went way off the grid. And yeah, he, did. he goes against Joey Votto for 41, Arenado for 41, Story for 25, Harper for 50, or for 44, and Trout for 50. And that's just his hitters alone. Yeah. How do you feel about this philosophy? <laughs> okay, so – I wouldn't normally recommend this strategy. We should note as a caveat in case people don't follow that league particularly. It is an on-base percentage league. Okay, so Joey Votto is a definitive first-rounder. Um, in most other standard roto leagues that just do batting average, you may not consider him a, a first-rounder. He's more of like a you know early second or end of the second rounder. Um, but all these players are obviously elite, and I think they're all going to perform you know, among the best in the league. And what's really crazy, too, is you would expect that to be a superstars and scrubs lineup whenever you look at the rest of it. He really did a nice job like identifying values and filling out the rest of his roster. He doesn't have holes. He doesn't have platoon bats filling out starting positions. Um, for somebody who's maybe a little bit newer or isn't as familiar, say you haven't been doing a ton of research in the offseason and you're not as familiar with the player pool or with you know transactions and stuff, this is Paul Spore's life. This dude re- records podcasts five, six times a week. His job is to comb every single depth chart to see every single transaction. He's constantly talking with people who are much smarter than we are. And he really knows his stuff, obviously. So he was able to, like I said, extract value in every possible way. And I'm honestly, I'm just, I don't know how he did it. I, I don't know if I could assemble a team like that. Um, it's, it, it, I want to say it's incredibly top heavy, but even his worst bats and his worst pitchers have a built-in floor and they have upside built into him too. I just think he did a fantastic job all the way around. Yeah, I just wanted to bring it up real quickly to people that are kind of new to this whole deal because, like you said, his his 
surrounding cast, you could say, is outstanding. The value he got, all the dollar players he got, easily could have gone for more than a dollar. You look at somewhat equivalent players, like, say, a pitcher or a hitter on other rosters that went for three, four dollars. Well, he couldn't have pulled that off. He somehow – it worked out, and I was just—I wanted to talk about it real quick because yeah. I know you love it's your auctions. Fair. It's not fair, is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really was. was. Roster, I'm looking at it. Yeah, yeah, pure craziness. But um, let's get into uh, what are some of the key names? Like everyone has a, a like a flock of players they just love. They want to have. They're targeting. What are some of the guys you noticed? Maybe not even targeting on purpose, but happen to be on a lot of your rosters? Um, so it has changed a little bit in the last week or so of me drafting. I seem to be uh, kind of like diversifying my portfolio a little bit more. It's really scary whenever you target the same handful of players in every single draft and one of them gets hurt because all of a sudden you're struggling to fill a hole in, in eight different leagues. You know what I mean? On the flip side of that, obviously, if they go absolutely ham, you have one player affecting eight of your teams. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think from a pitching standpoint, the pitchers I have the most exposure to are Chris Archer, uh, who we talked about in the last podcast. I think he's just a huge bounce back candidate. He's the most obvious uh, starting pitcher bounce back candidate I think that is out there. Um, Tanaka, Tanaka is a number one that's going at number two prices all across the board. People just don't take him seriously. And then for uh, relief pitchers, it's Cody Allen. I, I think Cody Allen is, uh, I read this on Tristan Cockcroft's stats. I think I, I mentioned this on a couple podcasts too. He's one of only like four relievers who had at least a 30% strikeout rate each of the last four seasons and had at least 30 saves. I mean, he's just fantastic at what he does. And I'm not worried about uh, Andrew Miller being there at all. He's more of like the fireman. You know, he's going to be great in, in holds leagues and stuff. But Cody Allen's just coming at such a discount that I don't mind that at all. On the hitting side, uh, I'm ending up with a ton of Brandon Belt. Brandon Belt, people don't realize this, third highest line drive percentage in the league. Um, his walk rate last season was 15%. I mean, he's a absolute stud when it comes to on-base percentage leagues. Uh, Kyle Seager, one of the most boring picks. Everybody just kind of wants to pick somebody else, but he's improved in almost every single offensive category each of the last four seasons. That includes home runs. They've gone up every single year. His weighted on-base average, his hard-hit contact, and his fly ball rate. Kyle Seager has improved every single year, and last year he finally hit 30 home runs, so I expect more of that. And then just really quickly, my boys, Christian Yelich, Kevin Kiermeyer, Stanton, who I still believe is going to hit 50 home runs one day and is going to be on most of my teams. Adam Eaton, I love Adam Eaton. Even with him batting sixth, uh, which they've said that might happen, I think whenever they're when they're facing lefties, I, I think he's going to lead off, and then he and Trey Turner are going to switch in that leadoff role. I still think he's a great value. I think the Nationals are going to score a ton of runs. And then some other like really, really back-end guys that I've been – you know, it's like my late-in plays for a dollar. Odubel Herrera, Marcus Simeon, and Estribal Cabrera. Estribal Cabrera, I think he's going to be on that Daniel Murphy plan where that hitting coach has just, like, worked wonders with a bunch of players who are recasts and, you know, had multiple offensive seasons that were just below replacement level. And in the second half last year, Estribal Cabrera was making a ton of contact, uh, looked fantastic. I think he's going to carry out the season. That's that's one of my late-in plays. If I can't figure out what I'm going to do at short stuff, I wait and wait and wait and just take Estribal. Um I mean, there's a couple others, but that's like my core guys that I seem to get at least three or four of these in every single auction or draft I'm in. No, I like that. Um, I'm big on Kiermaier as well. I like the Cabrera take a lot because I noticed myself last year, DFS for, for certain, but um, even in, in season-long leagues, I was somehow gravitating towards him in a lot of leagues where I needed another middle infielder or a shortstop, and he was very, mm-hmm. very formidable, very formidable, yeah. and people don't realize that. 
yeah. people forget when he was with the Indians, he was a top, like, not prospect, but a young stud that raked. Mm-hmm. And um, he had a little downtime. He got hurt. Things happen. Um, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, Stanton, I pray he can stay healthy just one year so we can watch him just unload on the baseball. That would be amazing. But uh, I like that. It will, That's a good core, guys. I definitely have. Definitely have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of something similar to that, what were some of the players that you saw going like just stupid high? Like, you know, everyone's big ones like Gary Sanchez. It's too high but for a catcher. This should not be happening. Something like that. What are some players you've seen going too high? Uh, Gary Sanchez is candidate number one. <laughs> Trey Turner would be a close second. Trey Turner's going in the first round in some leagues. Um, he's this year's version of Carlos Correa to me, where I think he's going to be a very good player. I'm not saying that he's going to you know, lose your league if you draft him in the first or second round. Um, but I think the expectations are so unrealistically high for him that even if he has a good season, he's going to be viewed as a disappointment. And I don't think that he... You know, taking him in the first round, it's not going to be justified by his production. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not in on Trey Turner where he's at. I just, I don't know. It's really scary for me. George Springer, especially in rotisserie leagues, um, everybody is just they're they're so enticed by uh, you know the power speed potential there. But we have never really seen him steal stolen bases at the clip that we saw in the minors. And in rotisserie leagues, standard five by five leagues, he was the number seventy eight overall player in 2016 on ESPN's Player Rater, seventy eight. That's almost solely because of his batting average, which is absolutely atrocious. Obviously, it's a little bit better in OBP leagues, but like I said, standard leagues, he's being super overdrafted. Uh, Greg Bird, he's everybody's like darling. The last couple of weeks, like he's gone up almost three full rounds, and it's just because of spring training stats. I understand the left-handed power thing, you know, in Yankee Stadium is going to play up. I don't hate it. I'm not saying that he's going to be a bad player too, but. Um, I mean, he's he's over the top 200 now, and he may be platooning, which, I mean, I just I just don't know. And then lastly, Carlos Carrasco, I'm hearing about setback after setback. I know he's immensely talented, but it's uh, – <laughs> when are we going to see, you know, like him just be completely solid for an entire season? You know, he's going – he's still – it's not like he's being taken super, super early, but he's going before guys like Carlos Martinez, Kyle Hendricks, you know, uh, Tanaka, Cole Hamels. I would rather have all of those guys right now, and people are still drafting Carrasco in front of them. It's just, it's way too risky for me. I like to mitigate risk as much as possible in early rounds, and he, it's just, his ADP is just too early for me. Yeah, I, I've heard you talk a lot, and I share a lot of those philosophies you do, like speaking on Carrasco. Uh, when I'm drafting, especially my early, like, five, six, seven rounds even, I try to avoid injuries at all costs. I want something that's going to show up and play. Um, especially with a guy like Carrasco, who is just, it seems like it's a perennial injury risk. Yeah. It's not even just like a one-time thing. Um, and, and, heck, it's, he's, and it's he's never hurt. even the same injury too. It's, it's multiple injuries, different body parts, soft tissue injuries, everything. It's just, it's really frustrating. Like I said, the guy's immensely talented. I'm not a hater. Last year, he was everybody's trendy kind of like AL Cy Young sleeper pick and obviously didn't work out just because of injury, but um, I mean, he's just like Stanton. I'm sure he's going to put it together one season, but I, 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 I'm more apt to pay for pitchers. Or I'm sorry, I'm more apt to pay for hitters as opposed to pitchers, just because, man, it, it's pitchers get hurt, and if you've already shown that you're getting hurt, that's the number one predictor of future injuries is past injuries. Oh yeah, and a, and a shoulder or an elbow, those things just sometimes they never heal. Uh, hitters like Stanton, he got hit in the face with a baseball, like that's out of his control. That's not something you predict. <laughs> People forget this. Uh, yes. Yeah. It, it wasn't like he like tore his ACL or something. It's totally fluky type stuff. Um, mm-hmm. 
last but not least on the season long uh, talk, because we could do this all day, but um, what are some of the guys like in his Drupal Cabrera who have probably a lot of leagues never got drafted um, that you're keeping your eye on already just in case something happens come waiver wire time week one or something. Okay. I got a couple of names. Uh, Travis Shaw, Travis Shaw last season, there was a month and a half where he was absolutely raking and, you know, obviously he fell off a little bit, ended up getting traded for Tyler Thornburg uh, to Milwaukee. He's being drafted number 365 overall. He's going to play every single day in an awesome ballpark. Every single day, um, I think he can he can hit home runs. He can still live to the bases. That offense is going to score runs, and they like to run. So, you know, he's not exactly a burner, but I think there's some stolen base upside there. And at 365th overall, I that's somebody I'm kind of keeping an eye on. If he, Like I said, if he's going to play every single day, absolutely. Uh, another one's Joe Panic. Uh, battle an injury last year. His BABIP was 245. So everybody just assumed that he was, you know, he just wasn't performing well. Um, I mean, he went from a, a batting average two years ago of 312 to 239 last season, but his contact percentage and his hard hit rate remained completely consistent. Um, so like I said, healthy all season. I think that's a really nice source of uh, batting average, which is the hardest thing to pick up off of waiver wires. So I'm kind of looking at him. And then lastly, Delano DeShields, his ADP right now is 425 overall. I know that he was just announced as the uh, starting left fielder over Profar, which, you know, upset a lot of people. Um, so that that ADP is going to go up over the next couple of days while people are still drafting. But, you know, this is a player that has almost no power whatsoever. He's going to slug about, you know, 350. Um, but he, he stole 25 bases in the majors as recently as 2015. This guy is a burner who, in a full season, if he remains healthy, he can steal you. He can give you Starling Marte numbers in the power – or, I'm sorry, in the speed department. So I'm kind of keeping an eye on him, too. Um, other than that, like, these aren't guys – I mean, these are guys that are being drafted, but they're being super underdrafted. DJ LeMahieu last year was a 38th best player in fantasy, you know, standard 5x5 leagues. I like drafting him not only because of the batting average, but because he gives you indirect exposure to the Rockies lineup and you don't have to pay like the premium on Arenado or Charlie Blackman or Carlos Gonzalez. So you still get a piece of that offense almost, you know, indirectly. And then I mentioned him earlier at the top of the show, but Brandon Belt, 155 overall, he's the 22nd first baseman. He's being taken as like uh, Albert Pujols and Morales and Adrian Gonzalez. And I just, <laughs> I just don't understand why I, I get that. He's a little vanilla, I still think that there's a breakout there. So those those are what, like five or six names that I'm going to be keeping an eye on them. Those are, you know, Hugh and Bell. I'm going to be looking to trade for them. But I'm really intrigued by Shaw. I will say this. I think he's going to have a, a career resurgence like Jonathan Fiard did whenever he went to Milwaukee. I like that Shaw call a lot because that ballpark is um... – like, not saying Boston wasn't a hitter-friendly park, but for a left-handed bat, definitely is not hitter-friendly. Very tough yep. unless you pull it straight down that line. Um, I like the call on Shaw. He's going to really like to hit in that ballpark. Plus, Great American Ballpark is going to be a fun one to hit in. He, ha- he has a good division to go play in. And um, sometimes change the scenery where someone's not over your back. Even in Boston, when Sandoval was hurt, they were still trying to find ways to have Shaw platoon and stuff. Like, there's always constant – worries about playing time young kids can't worry about that stuff yep. that was always my that was always my pet peeve with talking about Brandon Belt as a Giants fan it always killed me it was well he can't hit left-handed bats so we're gonna bench him well you're never gonna know until you let the kid face left-handed pitching 
Yeah, it's the same thing we're seeing right now with it's the same thing we're seeing with uh, Michael Conforto or with Colton Wong. You know, they're being cast as platoon players basically just because they're never given the chance. You're never going to get better at hitting lefties unless you face lefties. That's that's proven. I mean, riding pine or being you know optioned back and forth between AAA isn't going to accomplish anything. It's frustrating, but I I do think he's a talented hitter, and like I said, he's going to play every single day. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I like the love you're giving to the Giants with Panic and Belt. Panic, uh, Panic's the guy everyone, quote-unquote, craps on, but yeah. you hit it on the head. He was so hurt last year. People forget the all-star year he had the year before where he actually showed kind of power, gap power, like really wasn't a bad ball player and hit for great average near the top of the order, scoring runs. Like there is something to this. Yeah. Um, I like that call a lot because he's not getting drafted anywhere. Um, one more thing before we move on. You mentioned Trey Turner, and I forgot to mention this. And I laugh every time. And trust me, if people know me, I'm just sarcastic. I like to have a good time. So there's no ill will to this at all. Yeah. But you know someone I'm talking about. You mentioned his name earlier. How do you <laughs> pronounce his first name? It's Trey. Is it Treya or Trey? I think it's Trey. I think it's Trey, and it's spelled weird. <laughs> if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I... I don't know why it's spelled like that. Um, it, I, 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 I obviously don't know. It's one of those things where, like, I haven't even really watched like an interview or anything by him. I'm sure one of us is right, one of us is wrong, but I'm gonna go with Trey until I'm proven otherwise. I, I know there's a lot of people that pronounce it Trey, yeah, but that's uh, that's not me. I, I hear I hear Sammy say it every time on his podcast, and I laugh every time when I'm driving in my car. Yeah. So then I just chuckle because I'm like, that's outstanding. Yeah. But uh, it's just one of those little things. Again, no ill wills. But uh, let's move on to some more baseball talk before we get into DFS. Um, you already said it with Greg Bird, and I liked Bird going into the spring. He blows up. He's like this year's Mikel Franco in the draft, how he's just skyrocketed, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And worse off, he's platooning, which is horrible. Um, were there any spring performances that really did catch your eyes in a good way that kind of made you like rethink, hey, I might look into this guy or something? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, Gisellman for the Mets, uh, 2-3-1 ERA, 107 whip. Um, you know, he's not facing stellar lineups every single day, but he's looked fantastic. Um, I mean, left-handed pitchers are kind of like my forte. It's like my soft spot. I'm left-handed myself, and, you know, I can't throw the ball to save my life. But um, he's looked fantastic. He has a rotation spot secured. You know, there's all kinds of injury concerns and stuff with the likes of, you know, Stephen Matz and stuff. So um, he's somebody that I'm really taking a look at. And, and you know, you, you can get him in that super, super, you know, big tier, like that big glob of, of pitchers around, like the Jake Odorizzi types and stuff. And I think there's a lot of built-in upside there. Um, I've mentioned him a couple of times, but Mitch Haniger, he's the only player in spring with at least 60 at bats. It's hit 400. So he's hit exactly 400, which is awesome, regardless of what level of competition. That's still really hard to do. Um, so, I mean, he's basically going to be their everyday right fielder in an offense. That I think is going to take a step forward this year. They have a lot more lineup balance, uh, you know, defensively, obviously they're going to be a lot better, but this used to be a really, really left-handed heavy team. Like outside of Nelson Cruz, they were basically a bunch of lefties and nothing else. So I'm, I'm really excited about him. And then Jesus Aguilar, I was a little late kind of jumping on doing some research on him, but he's been raking all spring. He's only 26 years old. He was claimed by, I think the Indians, um, and I mean, he only plays first base. What's really nice is he's leading the team in hitting at 463. He has leading the team in hits with 25 total bases at 47, six homers, 16 RBI. His own base percentage in the spring is 525. 
slugging 870 his OPS is 1395 he's basically leading the team in every single offensive category like I said it sucks that he's only first base eligible and you know in Milwaukee that's kind of difficult because you know they have a lot of uh, players that they're moving around back and forth but um, that's that's somebody I'm going to keep an eye on I mean I, I honestly think he's mixed league relevant if he's going to play you know get 500 plate appearances or something like that if he can continue to rake like that like I said only 26 years old there's a lot of upside in that bat and again, he's in that ballpark you mentioned with Travis Shaw, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a guy, because I didn't know much about him either until very recently, kind of in the same boat you are. You actually still know more about him than I do. Um, <laughs> but they signed a guy, Eric Thames, to potentially be first base. Now, because right. of Aguilar, they're talking Thames going to play the outfield. What are your thoughts? How do you think this impacts Thames, or did you just not care about Thames to begin with going into the – I don't want to say I, I, I don't care about him. I mean, they gave him a multi-year contract and, you know, I'm not sure. I think it's what, six or seven million guaranteed per year or something like that. They're going to play him, but his playing time isn't absolutely guaranteed. It's not like they spent so much money on him that they're going to continue rolling him out every single day, regardless of how much he struggles. Um, so it's one of those things where they're trying people out. Like I said, Aguilar is 26. If he's raking, they're going to continue to use him and, and kind of see if they have something there. And I mean, I, you know, Thames can play first. He can play left field. I'm not really sure exactly what they're going to do. They may do one of those things, where, you know, when they have interleague play or they're playing an American League team, they'll you know, they'll switch DH duties. I'm not really sure exactly how it's going to work where they get them both on the field. But one thing I've noticed with, with Milwaukee is they like players who can play multiple positions. You know, Travis Shaw can play first. He can play third. He can play the outfield. You have guys like uh, Ernan Perez, who's one of my fantasy stud picks from last season. He ended up doing really well. But, you know, he can play almost every single position around the diamond that isn't catcher. Um, so they kind of like that versatility. It sucks regular, like I said, only plays first base. But um, I think Thames can move around a little bit and play left or or right. He's not really a center fielder, but I'm just really interested. It's it's like a, a really weird name. You know, we may not be – it's like uh, Juan Acasio last year. Remember how everybody was talking about him because he looked so fantastic. His strikeout-to-walk ratio was just elite, and his velocity was up, and everybody was talking about the race urge effect. And then he was completely dog shit for the entire season, and nobody – talked about him again i'm hoping that's not it with him he just seems like a really neat player that i'm kind of keeping my eye out on yeah no definitely i was just curious because i've heard mixed mixed results on tames and i ended up picking him in a league last night he fell and i said screw it i'll take the chance on some yeah. pop and some steals with the guy late in the draft i'll, I'll give it a shot yeah. um okay we already mentioned dusty baker pulling a whole dusty move and putting Tryon as the closer mm-hmm. any other like really surprise cuts or guys sent to the minors or whatever that you've seen so far uh, as we're approaching the start of the season? Just one, uh, Ho Park, <laughs> they DFA'd him today. I mean, he got sent down, and that makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. Um, I mean, you know, you still have Joe Maurer playing first base in DH, but Park last season, amidst all of his struggles, still made a ton of contact. He was at the top of the lead, uh, the leaderboard when it came to barrel percentage, which was, you know, getting really, really hard contact in the sweet spot of the bat at a you know specific, you know, uh, plane and, and, and launch angle, all this stuff was really making strides in the second half once he started to get a little bit more consistent playing time. And he's been raking this spring and they still DFA'd him, which I just don't. I don't understand that. That was the one thing that stuck out to me. There were a couple others as far as like, uh, you know, starting pitchers that I thought were going to make the rotation, but they're probably going to be called up in a couple of weeks just to get that super two out of the way. Um, But that was the one that really, really stuck with me. I, this Minnesota twins team, man, this front office, 
it's been a decade of ineptitude. They've they've changed over their front office uh, for the most part. They still have some some carryovers, but I still get the sense that they don't really have a, a a direction or a vision or really know what they're doing at all. And that was just one of the most questionable moves I've seen in the entire offseason was Bianco Park being sent down. Thousand percent agree with you on that one. I saw that this morning, and literally all I tweeted was. Now we know why the twins are the twins. Never change yep. twins. Twins doing twins things, basically. <laughs> like, this is what they're doing. It's yep. just, he hit, sure, his average was bad last year, but like you said, his hard hit contact, his fly ball, all that stuff was phenomenal last year. Mm-hmm. And then all he does is come back this spring after already getting DFA'd earlier, takes the invite to spring training, and just mashes. Yep. Crushes everything. And you're telling me you'd rather have Kenny's Vargas than Young Home Park? Vargas, just, by the I way, don't... Vargas, by the way, who's going to start the season on the disabled list? So it's not like you have this amazing, this amazing horde of, of of hitters that are you're trying to pick from. You see, what I'm saying it almost seems intentional, like they're trying to send a message, or they don't they don't like them. You know what I mean? I've, I've seen this with the organizations. The Rays did this with Tim Beckham last season. They sent him down because of they didn't like his attitude and he wasn't hustling out plays. And then whenever rosters expanded in the fall, they didn't call him back up just to send a message. I think that I mean I could be wrong. This could just be narrative conjecture, but it feels like that's what's going on with Park. I think they just don't like him, and there's a lot of buyer's remorse there. I. Who knows? It would make sense. It would make sense because I, I mentioned it on a podcast I did before. I was very confused when he did get DFA. He goes through the waiver process and no team picked him up either. So I'm wondering thought, if there's yeah. something that we don't know about. Like there's something maybe I'm not going to go. Okay. I'm not saying it's like, <laughs> you know, other Asian problems we've had with like Jung Ho Kong and stuff like that. Yeah. That's way extreme. Yeah. But maybe there's something we just behind closed doors. That's a little different. Like you're saying, um, cause we sure know you can hit it 450 feet. No problem. Um, speaking of another guy that had some off the field issues and basically blew up the, you know, every Twitter hot take yesterday, jury's familiar is only getting suspended 15 games by the, uh, major league baseball for his domestic violence issue. Given there is no charges, his wife withdrawn tons of things you can read up on that. He's been doing well. I still think it's kind of odd. I thought it was a minimum 30 type deal. Um, mm-hmm. Any takes on this one at all? Uh, I go back and forth on this. Obviously, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, domestic violence situations like this. I, I don't think that any professional uh, sports league handles it as well as they should. I think they're getting better, but something like this, 15 games, I'm upset with the league. And I, I do think it's like a slap on the wrist, especially for a pitcher or even a relief pitcher who doesn't. He doesn't get into the game every single day. It's like whenever they suspend a starting pitcher for five games, which it's really just one start. You're basically pushing back his start a day. Um, that stuff kind of pisses me off. But in this case, you got to understand too, guys, that there's a there's a players' union. Okay, so every single uh, uh, you know punishment that's sent down by the the commissioner's office has to be agreed upon by the the players' association. So as much as we want to get mad and you know grab our, our pitchforks and you know just completely lambast. The, the front office and the, you know, all these ownership groups and stuff that are making these decisions on this uh, it's the players union that protects them too. And they have a financial interest to make sure that he is playing as many games as possible. That's their job. I, it sucks. It's a slap on the wrist. It sends a bad message, I think, but I mean, it is what it is. He's still a fantastic pitcher. Um, I, I think he's going to supplant uh, Addison Reed whenever he does come back. But I mean, I guess that's a cheap source of saves at the beginning of the season for a couple weeks at the most. But yeah, other than that, I I, I don't think he's a particularly uh, fantastic human being. I wasn't there, but from what I've read, uh, doesn't seem like a really stand up guy. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much nailed that one. Um, I think it, you know, 
their argument is there was no no conviction. There's no like phone call or weapons or anything like that. But yeah. bottom line, we know something happened. The wife made a phone call. There was evidence at the like. There's so many things you can go on with this. I'm not an investigator. I'm not a lawyer. Like you said, you weren't. But I think it just sets a bad precedent for Major League Baseball. Like you said, 15 games, what's that really doing to start the season? Nothing. Um, I, I kind of find it very shady, to say the least, that basically all they're showing you is you have to go and talk to a couple classes and do a couple things we're going to basically slap you on the wrist. It looks pretty bad for, for when last year they're trying to say we're going to stand up and make statements and all this, and then that happens. So I'm very surprised there. Um one more thing before we get to a couple predictions. Um, what are a couple players looking for bounce backs? You mentioned a couple earlier. Do you have any other ones you're looking into? Big bounce backs I, this year. Here's another one that I was late on, but I've I've really come around on it. Is Matt Holiday? I just think it's 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 too obvious. I mean, I know he's older than dirt, but um, I think that the Yankees lineup is going to be surprisingly good. There's a lot of young blood in that. I think he's going to be rejuvenated. I think he's going to be healthy. And like I said, just playing that ballpark is fantastic. We mentioned Chris Archer at the top of the show. I'm going to continue touting him, trying to like win you guys as many leagues as possible. I think Chris Archer is just going to be an absolute stud, guys. He's like a dark horse Cy Young contender, and I, I genuinely mean that. Um, other than that, I really like the Angels rotation, especially like the top of the rotation. And a lot of people aren't talking about them, but Garrett Richards, uh, I mean, he's been touching 100 in the spring. Um, I, I like uh, Matt Shoemaker for a bounce back, and I like uh, Skaggs. I mean, they have pieces there. You can kind of see like this this framework where the Angels can actually be competitors. Obviously, they have Mike Trout. It, it, you know, if we can get 30 home runs again from Pujols, they're fine. Cole Calhoun is one of the, the best, you know, forgotten second best outfielders on a team in all of baseball. Nobody realizes how good he is. Um, and defensively, they're going to be really good too with Anderson Simmons and, you know, Escobar. There's just a lot to kind of, you know, they're not very deep. They don't have a good farm system. And I don't know what their financial situation is right now, but uh, they're kind of like one of my like sleeper candidates. And I, I, I want pieces of that pitching staff. That's all I'll say. Interesting. Um, I, I've heard a lot of people just so negative on the Angels, but everything you said makes total sense. I've always liked Garrett Richards. Again, he's kind of been a fluky injury guy, like running yep. to first base and his knee gives out. Like they weren't all structural things that affect the pitcher. Another thing people need to yep. realize when they think injury risk, totally different. Um, Skaggs I'm curious on. Mm-hmm. I've always been big on Shoemaker, but um, their bullpen is really bad. And that's it the is. biggest concern I have. But um, <laughs> you never know. Never know with baseball. That's the beautiful thing about baseball, especially as it's starting so soon, is right now they're all 0-0, and baseball's baseball. Anything can happen. Mm-hmm. So, heck, yeah. Yancey, you watched the World Series in Tampa Bay. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I mean, we lost four games to one to, you know, the Phillies, but it happened. We did it with a $40 million payroll, but, you know, crazier things have happened. That's my point. So then now that you mentioned, you know, dark horse candidate angels, you're probably not going to predict them to win it, but let's do a couple of predictions. What do you have like for division winners and a world series matchup? What do you have uh, for division? I wish I could, I wish I could talk myself into being a big enough Homer to put the, the Rays winning the AL East, but let's be honest, Boston is an absolute juggernaut. All the additions they've made, even with the David price injury, which is, you know, obviously pretty concerning. Adding Chris sale is basically like putting them back to at least where they were last season. 
And I just think they're a consensus favorite to win that league. I mean, Andrew Benintendi is going to easily, I think, win AL Rookie of the Year, without a doubt. I mean, he's going to be batting second almost the entire season. And that that lineup is just vaunted from top to bottom. That lineup is so good that they're going to be batting Xander Bogart sixth. So what does that tell you? <laughs> I just, it's crazy. In the Central, um, the only team I think is even close to sniffing at, at Cleveland is the Tigers. Um, I mean, the J.D. Martinez injury is concerning. Their pitching staff is in shambles. They've never been able to assemble a bullpen. They have a lot of question marks. And outside of that, there really isn't another contender on that. So I think Cleveland wins this division pretty easily too. The AL West, last year, I think the Rangers drastically overperformed. If you look at base runs and uh, just uh, uh, sequencing, basically like if you took up all of the positive things that they did and you just put them in like league average order, they were essentially a 500 team and they just drastically overperformed the Pythagorean, which I don't expect to happen two years in a row. I mean, crazy things have happened, but I think they take a step back. Uh, so I like the Astros. I think the Astros are going to be in complete FU mode this year, to be honest with you. Uh, I like the lineup. I think the uh, rotation has been much better. Uh, if McCullers, Lance McCullers can stay healthy, that is a really, really nice uh, just piece to have there. I mean, tons and tons of hitting. I think they're still one or two moves away from being an actual World Series contender, but I do expect them to get some sort of deal done before the trade deadline, um, namely a starting pitcher, but also some bullpen help as well. So I like the Astros in the West. And then for the two wildcard teams, I have the Angels and the Mariners. Okay, so the Mariners, I think, have... Um, they made a lot of improvements. They added Smiley, who is hurt right now. Uh, they added guys like Dyson. Mitch Hanniger is, is going to you know be playing every day, like we mentioned earlier. I think that offensively, they're going to be better. I think defensively in the outfield, they're going to be a lot better. And uh, their starting pitching may be a little bit better if James Paxson takes a step forward and Felix Hernandez is the Felix Hernandez of 2015 and not 2016. Um, so they're kind of... Uh, there's not a lot of really strong second-tier teams in the American League, which makes it a little difficult. Um, but... I'm going to pick those two. I'm going to pick the Angels to win it and then get absolutely dusted by whoever they play in the next round. Um, and then my overall AL champ is Boston. Um, I just They're just too strong and they just have too many resources. I, I, I can't really pick a, a hole in that team. Really quickly, though, for the NL East, Washington, there's not another dog in that fight. In the Central, the Cubs, again, who, who who's better than the Cubs? They're, they might win 110 games this year. I mean, seriously. In the West, I... I want to be your boy and be like, yeah, dude, you know, the, the Giants are totally going to win it. But uh, I feel like it's the yeah. Dodgers year. I really do. I just, I, I feel like it's the I, Dodgers I, year. I can't argue. I can't argue. Yeah. And then uh, for the wild card, I'm, it's, it's kind of a trendy pick. This could look really stupid in about two months, but I like the Rockies and I like the Mets. Um, the Mets, I mean, they, if they could stay healthy, like I said, they, they're deep in the rotation, even with the injuries and the Rockies are just, uh, I mean, I really like uh, I really like Jonathan Gray. I really like Tyler Anderson, uh, Chatwood. They have they have all these pieces that can actually do something in the starting rotation for the first time ever. I mean, if Jonathan Gray can pitch a three six ERA and with that strikeout rate, they really have a chance, even with that you know elevated rate. Um, I'm going to pick for the NL champion. I'm going to go with Washington just because I think they're the most complete team. And then for the World Series pick, I guess I'll go with the Nationals just because I hate the Red Sox so freaking much. <laughs> Yeah, um, that Rockies pick for one. If they had a healthy Desmond and Dahl, I would a thousand percent be on board. But at the yeah. same time, I can see because that lineup is, that lineup is still disgusting. Yeah, like top to bottom, it's like softball league stuff. You know, it's really um, frustrating. They're good. Why, why wouldn't they spend a little bit of money and go get Encarnacion? Oh my God, how perfect would that Dude, have been? Me. Dude, that would have broke the internet. Get- seriously. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or go get Napoli for $7 million. Yes. Get somebody other than that. Yeah. yeah. 
I still can't figure out the Desmond signing to save my life. Not to play first base. Not that he's not a good ball player, but to play first base. I just can't yeah. figure that one out at all. Weird. Um, another question I had, I, I, I like all your picks. I agree with pretty much all of them. Um, I saw something, and maybe you'll, you'll know because – you like the lefty arms, and we're both lefties. Uh, we're the smart people. Um, oh, you're, you're left-handed too? I did not know this. Fellow Southpaw. Yes. I'm a Very gifted nice. lefty. Well, maybe not gifted, but I'm a lefty. Um, <laughs> Drew, Drew Smiley was scratched from his last start, and I really liked him going into drafts, and now I'm kind of scared just because I told you my philosophy on injured players. Mm-hmm. Um, they diagnosed him with a soggy arm. What is a soggy arm? I saw that Rotowire blurb, and I too do not know what a soggy arm is. I, I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. I no, you're not like out of the know or anything like that. I don't know. That's a really weird terminology that I don't think you'd find in any medical book. I think that's just somebody took that from a a, a press release or uh, they got a quote from a, a beat writer or something. I, I have no idea, but that was pretty interesting. I mean, speaking of lefties, though, dude, this off season's been a little brutal, especially the last two weeks. I mean, Carlos Rodon gets hurt. Uh, Drew, Drew Smiley's hurt. David Price is hurt. Carlos, or yeah, Carlos Rodon, and then uh, who was the other one? Stephen Matz. Stephen Matz is hurt. Matz. It sucks, dude. Matz looks pretty serious because I was reading today they kept playing playing it off as el- elbow soreness. Now mm-hmm. I read today he actually had a PRP injection a few days ago. This yeah. dude's out till at least middle of May. This like PRP injection basically means we're rehabbing instead of having Tommy John surgery. That's what PRP injection is. That's what I've always kind of taken as to. I mean, with the caveat being, as always, that I'm not a doctor. When I keep hearing stuff like that, that's really, really unsettling to me. What's so frustrating about Max, or excuse me, Matt's, is that it's always the health with him. I mean, this dude has four elite pitches, slider, changeup, fastball. Uh, I'm not sure if he throws a curve or what his his fourth pitch is. But last season, he had four pitches with a 50% or above in a zone rating, which basically means like that pitch threw at went for strikes at least 50% of the time. He was the only pitcher in the majors that did that. Realize how immensely talented he is. He just cannot stay healthy. And it's, it's, it's so upsetting. No, I'm with you. I love Matt. I was big on him coming into the season, my initial rankings and everything. And then it was like, I had Matt Modica on a pod and he was flat out saying, I just don't touch Matt because he's always hurt. And then like a week later, Boom, there goes his elbow. It's just, every report has just gotten worse and worse and worse. The PRP thing is the same thing DeSclafani did with the Reds. It's it has to, I just have to see Tommy John coming. David Price, I think, is going to have Tommy John. I'm avoiding all of these guys. I just don't know how you do it. Bright side, you mentioned Rodon. I'm glad there's no structural because I love Rodon. I know you like Rodon. Mm-hmm. I think you do. We mentioned it before. Yeah, I'm a Rodon guy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, God, I can sit here and talk with you all day, but we need to move on to DFS talk. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Just talk. No, no, it's not your fault. It's just we could. I, I passed up on a lot of players you were talking about earlier that we could. Uh, we could do this for hours. Um, mm-hmm. But what I want to get to is the way we met was through basically DFS, and then we started our little private chat, and then it's mm-hmm. it's it's bloomed into so much more since then. Um, oh, calm but, down. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm going to have to turn the screen off so no one can see me blush. Um, but you are very, very smart in your DFS play, and I want to get these the people out there that maybe are new to the game or need some help or whatever, some ideas, like don't give away all your secrets. You need to be able to cash too. Mm-hmm. But um, just like what are some of the things that um, – like do you prefer FanDuel, DraftKings? Which, which site do you prefer for one? Um. 
I don't like that FanDuel doesn't have any late swap. That's really upsetting because I live on the East Coast, right? So you guys kind of have a little bit of an inherent advantage being on the West Coast where if you find out that, you know, somebody's not playing, I mean, you can stay up and you can keep monitoring lineups and stuff, and that's not an issue. You can play later slates and know that a player is playing. I don't have that luxury. That part's pretty difficult about FanDuel. Plus two, I don't like, you know, just their their, their positioning. I don't like that there's not a uh, an extra bat. I mean, stuff like that just infuriates me. I I don't know what they're going to do with this impending merger. If they're going to consolidate and become like Fan Kings or draft duel or whatever stupid you know name mixed name they come up with but i would like to see one uniform pricing uh structure roster i I want it to become one product instead of the two i think it's better for both of them it removes overhead hopefully they lower the rake i doubt it um but if we could just have one where we're not having to constantly like every time i give analysis i have to say oh he's a good play or you know he's a good play on this site but you know maybe not on this site because of this and that and there's just so much that goes into it, dude. But I will say from a software standpoint and from a, a size of the GPP standpoint, I definitely prefer DraftKings. They just always seem to run out bigger competitions. Um, and the app is a lot more intuitive. And I mean, they're getting rid of night mode on the app, by the way, which we were talking about today. Really pisses me off because I'm a hardcore night mode app user on everything. Twitter, SMS, everything like that. For The fact that they're getting rid of that is, is pretty bullish, to be honest with you. Yeah, they're coming out saying that it's to help enhance new things that are coming out with. Well, I can't wait to see what these are because <laughs> I know it has angered so many people. Yeah. yeah. Um, but one, a couple of things I wanted to mention is, yeah, the merger could lead to a lot of things. I would love just one site like you're saying. Mm-hmm. But the one thing about the two sites is there's always one that's kind of softer pricing and one that's harder. Usually FanDuel, for the most part, is a softer one. Yeah. So if you want to, you know, really get your crazy fantasy team with all your big names, you might want to play there. Um, secondly, I was reading, and I think it happened. We can ask uh, Brad later. He'll know. Um, I believe FanDuel is doing some late swap now this year. And I believe it's like they're going to have some tournaments with, some without. I was reading that. Yeah, I've, I've heard that too. I haven't heard anything confirmed. Um, they've also said that they're going to have a Sunday slate available, and I've yet to see that too. So... Uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I mean, it's it's you know it's Thursday afternoon. Where's my yeah. Sunday slate, guys? Um, I, I, honestly, I don't know. The late slate is a big thing, or the late swap is a big thing. Obviously, um, having two different sites that I have to worry about and, and constantly check and go back and forth, and there's different rules and the scoring is a little different. Last year, FanDuel made a switch to where it was a little bit more competitive. You remember they took off the they the they took off the minus points for strikeouts and stuff like that, which helps. You know, if I have before it used to be, say a player goes, uh, you know, two for four, but he has two strikeouts. He basically scored zero points. So you mean to tell me because of the strikeouts? So you mean to tell me that a player that was batting five hundred on the night scores the same amount of points as a player that went over four? That is stupid. I have a problem with that in a lot of points leagues too. That deduct like a full point or a half point for strikeouts. That doesn't make any sense because that doesn't mirror real life baseball. I understand that it's fantasy, but. The, the whole idea is to make it as reasonable and realistic as possible to the real game. Um, DraftKings, I don't even know where I'm going with this. DraftKings has done a better job at that, at, at closer resembling real life, I think. Um, but more and more, you're starting to see that they're starting to mirror each other. And I think, like I said, with the impending merger, you're going to see identical. If it's not the same product, it's going to be almost completely the same thing, 100%. Like the pricing, everything like that. It doesn't make sense to pay two different teams to do things twice. Uh, there's just so much more overhead whenever you do that. But 
What's what is Bubba? What is your personal opinion on what they're going to do with with this whole thing, though? Do you think it's going to be two standalone products, or do you think they're going to be one one product, one app, one team, one CEO? What's that look like to you? I honestly think they're going to stay two separate products, only because if you watch what they just did with golf on FanDuel, which on my next podcast we're going to go really deep into on our Masters preview because this is like week three or four of it now, and most people still have no clue what is going on on FanDuel. <laughs> um, but that, that format is completely different than DraftKings, like a thousand percent. You look at NBA, the rosters are still different, which mm-hmm. you think by now if they're going to merge, they would have gotten that a lot closer because that's a right. big difference when you're building your lineup. Um yeah. The thing with baseball, why I this is where I really think it's not going to change, is one of the projected scoring changes now is they're getting rid of the win and doing quality starts on FanDuel, mm-hmm. which basically now you never have to pay for a big pitcher. Because it used to be one pitcher instead of two like DraftKings. So paying up for like your Kershaw was a locking because you had to have the win in FanDuel. It's like right. when you play hockey, DFS, you have to have the goalie that wins or you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, now that it's just quality start – well, shoot, I'll go pay half the price or a third of the price of Kershaw for Yvonne Nova, who might still get eight Ks on a good night, but you know he's going to give you most nights six innings of three runs or less. That's what Nova does, at least with the Pirates. That's what he's done. Yeah, quality starts is not a perfect stat. So for those who don't know, I'm, your, your listeners are a pretty yeah. smart group if they're listening to a fantasy baseball podcast or, or fantasy sports podcast, but six innings pitched and three, three earned runs or less – that's a 4.5 ERA. That is a below average starting pitcher, okay? And you're being rewarded that with a quality start. Is it better than a win? Yes, it's better than a win. However, if you're playing like a GPP or you're playing in a 50-50, you're playing cash games, you're playing head-to-heads, like you said, the threshold now for being a you know a viable cash play for a starting pitcher is much, much lower because it's so much easier for you to get a win. You can pitch like dog shit. But you can still get a win, whereas before, like you, like you said, I, I need that win. I need that that super high floor with the wins, especially on FanDuel. And now it's so much easier to attain that. You're going to see a lot of strategy where a lot of those dollars, um, DFS, let me say this, DFS is different in the sense that uh, a lot of the, the big touts will always tell you that you know, you want to reduce variance as much as humanly possible in a sport where variance is extremely, extremely high, especially in baseball, right? hitters, the best ones fail 75% of the time, 70% of the time. So pitchers are much more successful on a more, you know, a, a more regular rate. So you're going to more often than not spend up on the best pitchers. So now if the lower tier pitchers can get these quality starts, just like a regular, you know, a Clayton Kershaw or Madison Bumgarner can, what is the incentive for you to pay up for them? You see what I'm saying? So you're going to start seeing more of your daily allotment of that $50,000 being pushed towards the hitters and less on starting pitchers. And then I think you'll start seeing the sites adjust midseason. Remember last year, it took them forever to get like the starting pitching prices up. Clayton Kershaw at one point was like $11,900. And everybody's like, what the hell is going on? He should literally be like $14,000. And he wasn't. Um, You'll notice that too. Like uh, both sites, very, very slow to adjust to player pricing. And another thing too, I know I'm just like throwing out like random things one one at a time, but Another factor, actually a huge factor in the pricing algorithms for both of these sites is ownership percentage. So even if a player is raking and nobody knows about him, he is still cheap. Players like the Tampa Bay Rays, who nobody knows, like 
Nobody knows that Evan Longoria destroys lefties. They don't know that. Whenever Logan Forsythe played for us, nobody knew that he was a lefty masher. Danny Valencia, uh, who's Danny Valencia, right? I owned him in 100% of my cash lineups and tournaments last season when he hit three home runs against Matt Moore because he crushes lefties. So like, keep that in mind whenever you're building out teams. Like, The most valuable lesson I can teach anybody about daily fantasy is splits. Go to fangrafts.com. Go to the player search. If, you, if you're thinking about using a player, type him in. Click on a little tab that says splits, and you can go down. You can see what he does versus lefties. You can see what he does versus righties. That's where you find what a player is good at. Every single player has an archetype. There's one specific thing that they're good at, and that's that's how you build out a DFS lineup. You're not looking to get like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and you know all the best players in one lineup. You can literally win a, a line or a tournament with sub three thousand hitters throughout the entire lineup. Like that's that's not something that hasn't been done before. It gets done all the time. But I've been talking too yeah. much. So let me kick it back to you. <laughs> no, I'm loving all of this. This is why I had you on. This is what I want to talk about. Is you know, there's an outline, and then there's just good knowledge, and that's what I that's what I wanted right there. Mm-hmm. Um, first, I want to hit on is the splits thing. Like you said, I love targeting splits. You target it. I know we talk a lot about it, but like for instance, like you you mentioned Valencia. Almost any time the A's faced a lefty, it was Valencia, Simeon. Um, they had their cheap, cheap catcher. I can't remember his name now. Fegley. Oh, Fegley. Josh could, Fegley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like four, you could stack the A's and still mm-hmm. pay for Kershaw and like a trout. And it was just stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you get at least two. Oh, and Chris Davis with a K. You'd have two to three home runs guaranteed almost with an, on an A's night against a lefty. Mm-hmm. It was yep. stupid. Um, but that's one thing, a great point. If a guy is raking and the ownership's low, if you've noticed, I know you noticed, but for the listeners, like when a call-up happens, like say when Stephen Moya came up and he was hitting really well, well, mm-hmm. people would use Moya, but it takes DraftKings almost two weeks to adjust to ownership. Yeah. So yeah. you can ride you can ride these guys for a while, and then all of a sudden one day you're going to log in and go, oh, no, what, <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. But – very good point with the ownership deal. Um, the splits is clutch, very clutch. There's a bunch of websites, but Fangraphs is by far the best for anything you're looking for. Um, I'm glad you mentioned this because I want to bring it up because I know we've talked about it. I know your stance, but I want you to I know, I know, I know what you're going to bring up. I know exactly what you're going to bring up. But go I ahead. want you to explain it to the people. You like splits as your number one. Um, what is your opinion on wonderful BVP? Okay, I, I, yeah, this is exactly what I knew you're going to bring up. All right, so, <laughs> so Bubba, if if you and I are like, hey, let's flip a coin five times, right? I'm heads, you're tails, and whoever wins the most flips wins all the money. Okay, and you flip tails five times in a row. Does that tell me anything definitive about you? Did we identify that you have some other ungodly skill when it comes to flipping a coin? Or is that simply statistical noise? Is that such a small sample size that we cannot discern any mathematical meaning to that whatsoever? Yep. It's the latter, right? I it's agree. definitely the latter, okay? It's frustrating yep. to me whenever people use BVP, whenever they're extremely small sample sizes. Okay, like mm-hmm. if it is less than 10 plate appearances, guys, it takes 2,000 plus plate appearances for us to even know what a player's true splits are. Like for me to know that Danny Valencia mashes lefties he has to be in the majors for years before that actual statistical you know, number stabilizes to where it's predictive year over year. But then you're going to tell me that you can predict 
or you're going to make some sort of money decision on five at bats or 10 at bats. That's insane. I will say this though. And we've talked about this a little bit during the world baseball classic. Cause we were just grasping at straws just cause we wanted action so bad. Mm-hmm. If you have two identical players, identical prices, identical matchups, identical parks, identical weather, identical umpires with their strike zone. Everything is the same. And you're looking for one tiebreaker. I'm talking about, this is like the 15th tiebreaker. I will, I will use BVP. Okay. That will be the tiebreaker. Perhaps he sees the ball coming out of his hand. Well, uh, you know, maybe he's tipping his pitches or something. Maybe they went to college together and he knows this dude's arsenal much better than other hitters do. I don't know. I think that's, like I said, mostly narrative driven and it's completely statistical noise. However, the one caveat being like Paul Goldschmidt a couple years ago destroyed Tim Lincecum. And it was it was not 10 at bats. It was 50, 60 at bats. He's batting like 480 and slugging like 800. That dude knows something about Tim Lincecum that other hitters don't. You see what I'm saying? That becomes a little bit more obvious where he's raking. But whenever you have a player who's only seen a pitcher six times, they're like, oh my God, he's four for six with two doubles. That is stupid that means i don't want to be your friend i i want to mute you or unfollow you on twitter guys like that is it's so so bad you're looking for large sample sizes right that are stable that are proven that are consistent year over year and that you can back them up with data small sample sizes and bvp regardless of what any tout tells you is not is not a smart move okay and it's like the whole thing where it's like um you know well let's say well you know you can't use stats all the time to you know to measure out a player's worth or anything. Yeah, you can't, but guess what? Over a thousand decisions, if you're using statistics that back this up to make your decisions, you're going to come out ahead at a much higher percentage than somebody who's just going off of feeling or conjecture or a really, really small BVP sample. I know this is like a really long diatribe. It's one of the most annoying. I knew you're going to bring this up to you on the show, by the way. It's one of the most annoying things to me on Twitter is whenever people start talking about like my favorite play tonight such and such is six for 10 with two doubles and a home run against this scrub pitcher. I'm like, Oh my God, get out of here, dude, get out of here. I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> I had to do it. Uh, you set me up perfectly with it. That's why I had to go with it. Um, yeah. Before I won't drag it on too much longer, but I just wanted That's to clarify. This is fun. For every, no, I just wanted to clarify for everybody. You did mention sample size. What is like an adequate sample size for you? And, how long of a period, like, you know, a player could be in the league for like 15 years and maybe he crushed him in his first five years, but not in his last 10, but his sample right. size because of those five years. Can you clarify that real quick? Sure. Okay. So I'm not sure what the exact number is as far as the career splits go. Um, I think like Jeff Zimmerman and Jeff Sullivan, you know, they've all done work on this where it, it takes like 2,500 plate appearances for uh, a person's splits to stabilize, which means you can start seeing within a really small range year over year what that split is going to be. You see what I'm saying? Baseball is inherently variant. It's going to change every single year, but after a certain amount of time, you can kind of see what a guy's true skill level is. As far as DFS goes, we have to make money-based decisions on daily... (laughs) How do I explain it? Like, really, really small, like, scheduled events. Okay, so... If it's incredibly random, and we know baseball is random, okay, why would we not use information that's going to help us? 
if I know that Evan Longoria smashes lefties, why am I going to target somebody else who is left-handed and he is absolute dog shit against left-handed pitching? Um, if it, it, say, say a player has been in the, how do I explain this? Okay. Uh, say it's a first year player, say it's a rookie player. Okay. You don't, you don't have a huge major league sample to go off of. I'm going to look at minor league stats. I'm going to look at college stats, whatever I can discern from this statistical profile as a general rule, a lot, this sounds really simple, Bubba. You've played baseball. I've played a little bit of baseball. Most people play baseball. For those who don't know this left-handed hitters feast off of right-handed hitters for the most part, right-handed hitters, for the most part, feast off of left-handed hitters. But they're also, most of the time, decent against right-handed hitters because you face more right-handed pitchers in life. Left-handed pitchers and left-handed hitters are rare. We are rare and special, and we are great. We are awesome. So a lot of hitters Obviously. don't a lot of hitters don't get to face left-handed pitchers through high school, through college. One out of five pitchers are left-handed. You see what I'm saying? It's just a smaller, it's just a smaller sample set. So there's no such thing as like a left-handed hitter who hits lefties better than righties. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't work out like that. Anybody who says that, it is 100% statistical noise. There was a a trend last season where people kept saying that, oh, look at Anthony Rizzo's splits. He's actually slugging at a higher percentage against lefties, uh, you know, and as a left-handed hitter than he was versus righties. Of course, three weeks later, that had completely normalized and it was back to being, you know, whatever. It's like you can't make... You can't make decisions based on like super micro samples. If a player is hot in the last seven days, go back and look at his starts and look at his stats and see what type of pitcher was he facing. Was he a lefty? Was he a righty? Was he a fastball changeup guy? Was he a fastball slider guy? What type of pitches does this hitter hit? You see what I'm saying? Your your analysis has to be so much deeper than looking at who the starting pitcher is and then seeing what their ERA is, which I know a lot of people do. Or looking at uh oh they're playing the red sox tonight oh the red sox are really good well maybe maybe they are but maybe in the last three months the red sox are like 17th in the league in woba against right-handed pitching you see what i'm saying there's just so many things that people don't consider the biggest takeaway from that like i could talk about this for like three hours i know i'm just i'm just just going and going and going but i i challenge people to not take the first assumption that you make about baseball and let that drive how you think about everything about baseball. Um, There's always new information. There's new ways to look at things. And more times than not, your first assumption is going to be wrong about baseball, like 100%. And there are ways statistically to prove that it's wrong. Um, I know that's like very dark and nihilistic, but that's, that's true. Do your homework, read fan graphs, get on there, look at splits, find out what players are good at statistically. Every player does one thing a little bit better at, at, at certain things. And then you leverage what you know about him and you, you take into account who the starting pitcher is, you know, where the ballpark is, what his cost is, if you can fit him into your lineup, and then just make sound decisions that way. No, totally. Um, another thing to look at besides splits, and I won't go deep into this, we'll move on. But just like, for instance, come Monday's DFS, there's a lot of really good quote-unquote aces. It's opening day. Mm-hmm. So you need to find places to fade. Yep. Well, it's an obvious one most nights, maybe not on Monday. But look at the Red Sox, for instance. I know it's the Red Sox. We know they mash. They're facing Garrett Cole, who everyone's high on. Garrett Cole is a heavy, heavy fastball pitcher. Yeah. He's not going to dupe you with, like, like off-speed stuff like, you know, some other guys will. Mm-hmm. So now that ace just got knocked down a few pegs. Little things like that. Fangrass will show you what batters hit 
certain pitches better. So if you got a guy on the Red Sox that absolutely mashes the fastball, which most pros can hit it, but mash are two different things, and you can get value on that against a Garrett Cole who most might avoid because it's Garrett Cole, now you have something. Because there are like four or five guys you – there are like four or five guys that everyone's kind of targeting to hit against already on Monday, like Volquez and stuff. If you can target a Garrett Cole now, you already upper handed yourself a little bit. Just yeah. some, little things like that. Minor and, I'll, and I'll say this too. Um, if you're, like with baseball, there's only so many games, right? There's only so many starting pitchers. So if you have 10 games going, that means you have 20 starting pitchers. Of those 20, 12 of them are going to be pretty bad that nobody even thinks about using. So you have a, a pool of eight starting pitchers. Clayton yep. Kershaw loses games. Clayton Kershaw gets up home runs. Yep. You see what I'm saying? If you're going to be playing these big, massive uh, GPPs, these guaranteed prize pools, you have to be different. You have to do stupid things that make no sense. We were playing the World Baseball Classic, yep. and we were rostering Eddie Rosario. Why? Not because he is good, but because nobody else is going to. You see what I'm saying? You constantly have to think about what is the obvious move, how – you know, it's a chess match, basically. You're, you're trying to get players in good positions at good costs, uh, you know, against hitters that they, they may do well against, not be stupid about it, but also apply a little bit of game theory to it too. You know, you don't want to take all the obvious picks and just have a super chalky lineup because if it doesn't work out, then you obviously lost money. And if it does work out, it worked out for everyone else too. And you, again, you don't make any money. Every single night in baseball, there is one player who hits two home runs that nobody was thinking of every single night. And I learned this my first year of playing Daily Fantasy. And I was like, you know what? Every single night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build one lineup. It's going to be a complete donk lineup. It's going to be a starting pitcher that nobody wants. It's going to be a team stack of bats that nobody thinks is going to do well. And I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm just going to see what happens. And most of my top five GPP finishes were because of those stupid wonk lineups. There's always merit to fading a player, regardless of what anybody says, especially in baseball. But, I mean, even football, too. How many times were we like, oh, he's the absolute chalk. We have to use him. And then... Le'Veon Bell tweaks his knee or something. You know what I mean? It just something stupid like that always happens every single time in Daily Fantasy. Look, like play the ownerships too. Yeah, ownerships is very key. Like you said, the only way to win the GPP or to hit it big is you can't have the same things everybody has, like you said. Like one thing I like to tell people is I know everybody hates Coors Field to begin with, so you can just fade it all around. But you, I always make at least one lineup with the exposure just because you have to because if all hell breaks loose, you have to. But what I tell people when you do it, Take the visiting team because everyone stacks the Rockies. Like just Always. Little they things forget, like that. They forget that there are two teams playing in Coors Field. Exactly. Yes. That's my point. Yes. Everyone forgets that. They go, Colorado. Oh, it's the Rockies. No. The Diamondbacks are in Colorado. Okay, give me Goldschmidt. Give me Pollock. Give me Hell Tomas yeah. against the lefty. Hell yeah. Give me all these guys. <laughs> I'm actually glad that you brought that up too because I, I, I've been talking to a couple of my friends, uh, you know, just privately in like chats and stuff. This year, last year, if I had one fault, it was I was always too cute handling Coors Field. I was trying to do a full-on fade every single night because I knew, oh, my God, everybody's going to use Coors bats. And every single Coors slate, I was trying to fade it. And it cost me money. You know, a couple times it would hit. A couple times out of the year, Coors Field is a complete dud, and it's a two-to-one game. But guess what? That doesn't happen very often. And if we know statistically that – more times than not, there are going to be a lot of runs scored there, a lot of home runs, a lot of doubles, a lot of gap power. Why am I going to handicap myself over the course of an entire season by constantly fading? And little decisions like that over long haul, long haul, and in an industry where the rake is so high and it's so hard to eke out a profit. Like 
I grinded cash. Um, just just as an aside, I grinded cash day for the last two years. I have not missed a slate in over two seasons. Right, played every single day head to heads, fifty fifties, and I was profitable. My second year, the first year I lost a little bit. I think it was down like one and a half percent. Last year I made money, but you have to understand, I have to win almost fifty six percent of the time for me to beat the rake. The sites take in money and people forget this. If you're in head-to-heads and you win exactly 50% of your head-to-heads, you lost almost 6% of your money. You got to be good. It is really, really difficult and it's not something to be taken lightly. So with things like fading cores, knowing that it is an optimal offensive environment, you cannot get cute with stuff. Stick to what you know, especially in cash and you know, be different in other areas. Yeah, in cash games especially, that's a good lead, and we'll talk about that now because we could go on for this for a while. Um, <laughs> there's cash games, there's GPP. Uh, in baseball, for one, I like playing cash and GPP, but I like playing a little more cash because my knowledge – okay, it sounds cocky, but my knowledge is I feel like I can balance things out more. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of – because if – you know, I'm assuming most people play DFS that listen to this – so at least you know the price, the the winning price point is going to be much different in a cash game than GPP. Um, but like your brain thinks a lot more contrarian, and I've learned a lot from you in that that realm. Where I'm more of I'm, I'm balancing things, so that's why I like you know balancing things back and forth with you. Um, would you consider yourself? And this brings the course field thing is. When it does hit, you've already lost every other lineup, like you said. So that's that was my theory on that. Um, yeah. Do you consider yourself a cash or a GPP player, or do you prefer one or the other, basically? So this is a little bit of a trick question. I think everybody prefers GPPs. It's a lot more fun, okay? Me winning a $50 head-to-head is – it's nice. I like the money, but it's not – like, it doesn't get, like, my adrenaline pumping, like – I don't stay up all night watching, you know, West Coast at bats because I think I'm going to bink something. Um, but I mean, I, I I I play probably. I think my volume last season, my split was 87% cash, 13% GPP, which is a little bit higher than most. Most people recommend like an 80-20 split. But like, I'll tell you this right now, guys. Um, if you hear people saying like, "Oh, I'm only a GPP player," um, sure, there are anomalies, and I'm it, and if you are, I'm not a hater, and more power to you. Um, But if you say, if you hear somebody saying, oh, I just play GPPs, the chances are like 95%, that is a losing player. It is so difficult to consistently be profitable unless you hit a gigantic GPP to mitigate all those losses. Because every single night, man, you can get blanked in GPPs, like blanked. Say you pay $100 and you just play GPPs, you you can lose $100. Whereas in cash games, especially if you're playing, you know, the chalky picks, the consensus best plays of that night, you can play $101 head-to-heads. You will never, it has never happened to me. I have never gone 0 for 100, ever. Your return on investment is so much higher. You have a 50% chance of winning back money as opposed to a GPP where only 20%, sometimes even less of the field caches. And whenever they do cash, it's a min cash. You see what I'm saying? So like, it's, to answer answer your question in a long way, I am a predominantly cash player. Um, I think I am better as a GP put, GP player. Just that's that's hard to say fast. GPP player because that's kind of how my brain thinks. Um, but anybody who says that they're just a, a GPP player, uh, I, they don't. I don't think they have sound bankroll management. To be completely honest with you, <laughs> no, I, I I I a thousand percent agree <laughs> with you. 
I didn't even play GPPs for almost my first year. I, yeah. I was like, I, I toy with it, maybe like the 5%. And the way I, I said my brain initially thought, I just didn't have the contrarian nature to do it enough. Like it wasn't me. I was the idiot that would yeah. stack Coors and I'm going to go chalky as chalky could be. But in cash, that works. That works in cash game. Yeah. Um, but like I said, your brain, talking to you and a couple other guys, it, it has opened my eyes to a lot of things. It's helped me win, not like win the big stuff, but I've, I've done better in the last few years on GPP World, and I hope to take that even farther. Um, talking about GPP cash, you mentioned head-to-heads, which is one-on-one for the most part. Um, what size contest do you like? Do you like the you know, 150 max entries? Do you like the single entries? What are you looking for when you do your DFS? I like I like single entry stuff. Um, like I don't like I don't like getting hit on by the train, where you just miss out cashing in a fifty fifty because you have one player who max entered, and because he had fifty entries into a, a gigantic fifty fifty or he has twenty five entries, you just missed out. You see, what I'm saying so technically, like maybe only three players beat you in this 50-50, but because they had so many entries, you're kind of kept out of the cash like that. Um, that's that's not really my style at all. I like doing head-to-heads, okay? I like me versus one guy. And I know this is this is something that not a lot of people like to talk about, but one of the stupidest things DraftKings ever did was putting player emblems, the little badges, the experience badges on DraftKings lobbies. And I understand that their intent was was pure in that they were trying to protect newer players by showing them, hey, here's Bubba. Bubba plays a lot. If you're new to DFS, maybe don't play Bubba. You see what I'm saying? But it also worked in a counter where as me as an experienced player who's been playing for years, I can also see theirs. So whenever they're posting head-to-heads, I'm essentially bum hunting in the lobby. I'm looking for people who have really low little logos, little private logos, and those are the head-to-heads that I'm picking up. It, it had like this reverse effect all last season where a lot of experienced players and, you know, I'll be completely honest with you. I did this a lot too, especially during football, especially during football. I didn't post head to heads at all. Why would I post head to heads whenever I can guarantee, you know, I don't want to post a head to head and have to play Condia and baseball. You see what I'm saying? I can, yep. I can, I can go to the lobby an hour before lock and I can literally just pick my head to heads. So like, if you guys want my advice there, if you're just starting out, if you have a, a an experience badge, that is, you know, low. It has like a little private symbol or like a little private first class. Don't go posting head to heads, man. Seriously, like you are going to get bum hunted. Like if you post fifty one dollar head to heads, you are going to you are going to be like, wow, everybody took my action so fast. That's because you know they see you as a fish, and you may be very talented, but you are basically putting yourself at a disadvantage if you are posting head to heads. Yep, thousand percent agree. Uh, one thing I I have liked for the GPP world because. I want to explain to people, sure, the the big contest, you can win the bigger prize. But like you said, max entry of 150, you're facing, I don't want to say the best of the best because a, they are really good, so I don't want to take that away from them. But when you have the ability, it's just common mathematical sense to put 150 lineups in and maybe me and Yance put like three in. Okay, this isn't rocket science to see what your odds are here. You're already behind the eight ball. Now right. they have they have the, the single entry GPPs, which are a lot of fun. Your paydays mm-hmm. aren't as much. When you're new to G, to DFS, don't worry about the payday. Just win. That's yeah. all I'm gonna say is just yeah. win. Just take home more than you won the night before. If if you win a contest and it's only four hundred dollars instead of four hundred thousand, sure, that sucks. Don't even look at the what number that was. Take your four hundred dollars and be happy. 
that's like yeah. outstanding. Yeah, that's that's One that's thing- frustrating. That's frustrating. That's to cut you off, but like uh, getting getting you know friends and family and stuff into daily fantasy, and they'll put a hundred dollars on their account. Okay, they only have one hundred dollars, and they start by playing football, and they're playing the twenty dollar millionaire maker, and they're putting two entries yeah. in. So right off the bat, out of your one hundred dollar budget, you're putting in two twenty dollar bullets. So forty percent of your entire bankroll is predicated on winning in a tournament that has tens of thousands of entrants. Your chances of winning, you know, not 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 even winning. Your chances of cashing are so slim. You know what I mean? It's like, what are you doing? You ha- you have to think about that. Like, constantly be thinking about what percentage am I putting in of my bankroll, and how much do I stand to gain? Like, I think if people really looked at that, they're like, okay, I only have fifty dollars in my account, but I want to play. I want to play uh, the twelve dollar really bad, or I want to play the five dollar knuckleball. Okay, even if you're playing the five dollar, that's <laughs> Look at the percentage of what that is for your bankroll if you only have $50. You see what I'm saying? Like you have to think about these things. And then GPPs, like I said, that $50, that $100, that $200, if you're just playing GPPs and you don't cash in a hurry, you're going to go broke in a hurry. And nobody wants to be like, you know, an ATM for DraftKings. You don't want to be constantly just reloading, reloading, reloading. Yeah. One of my favorite things I started doing last year, and I did it in all sports now, the, the max three entries, sure, it might only be worth 20 grand max pot instead yep. of 200 grand. But I like, still, I like take 20 that, grand. Uh, I, th- I think it was in baseball <laughs> last year. I finished seventh, and it paid me out like $250, yeah. where in reality, in the big one, that same price point would have made like $9. So a, a lot of times also in these smaller entry tournaments, yep. Yep. it doesn't take as much to win because they're not 150 entries. That's another thing I want to bring up. Bubba, it's so, it's like playing the Powerball, okay? Nobody yeah. plays the Powerball until it's like $800 million. Or you remember, what was it, a year ago, a year and a half ago when it was a billion dollars? All of a sudden, whenever mm-hmm. your odds are their very worst, everybody wants to play. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to play a $1, yeah. a $1, 100-man tournament where first place gets, what, $20 or $27, whatever, whatever they, I can't, can't remember what the 100-man is anymore. But nobody, that's not exciting to anybody, but... They 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 want to play whenever it's the gigantic you know million dollars to first or the the two million dollar millie maker season one of the NFL nobody nobody thinks about the math they just want to you know it's yeah. not exciting doubling up it's not exciting playing twenty one dollar head to heads and and winning you know back what thirty six dollars or something it's just I don't know it's I, I I've always thought about that like uh you know what am I giving up and what am I going to get back how how many people do I have to beat to make this a wise investment. And I think if everybody thought like that a little bit more, um, for one, uh, you wouldn't see nearly as many GPPs filling. Uh, <laughs> but two, I, I think a lot more people would be profitable than they are. Yeah, that second part for sure. One more thing, and we'll move on, that DraftKings has started to do. I've noticed it in basketball recently and golf as well. Um, they'll still have their big competition, but then they'll have a second one. Instead of like the three three max entry for like 20K, It'll still be a good price point of like 150 or 200,000. Yeah. But it's only tw- it's only 20 entries instead of 150. Makes it a little more it makes it a little more playable for the non-big cheeses basically. And right. it's funny it, it's funny on the nights where they don't offer the big big one and that is the big one. How many quote unquote pros have been throwing a fit over this already? Yeah. Cuz yep. they can't cuz they can't maximize their optimizer. Which, which, 
Yeah, I mean, I get it, and I don't know. I go back and forth on on, on the on the quote unquote pros, whatever. I don't consider myself a pro. I have a regular job. Uh, this is supplemental income. It's nice. My wife loves it. It's it's fun. You know what I mean? I paid for vacations and stuff with it, but like, I don't I don't need this money. Other people do, and I understand that. That's fine. But if your entire industry's business model is predicated on catering to a small group of people who are making most of the profits in the industry, that is an industry that is doomed. So whenever they're making all these different changes and stuff like that, you'll always hear the outcry from the elites, you know, like the people at the very top of the industry, um, because they're looking out for their best interests, which I understand. But like I said, you you have to keep the money coming in. You have to keep the the, the bottom happy, or that is an industry that's in trouble, one hundred percent. Yeah, and you and Sammy talked about that on uh, their pod that you're on recently, or he was on your pod recently, and yeah, it, it mentioned it very very well. So people check that out, uh, the dear Mister fantasy all their episode but recently they talked a lot of dfs on that as well let me say one more thing too what, it, um, uh, you, yeah. one more thing really quickly have you ever heard the adage that like it's expensive to be poor have you ever heard that like, <laughs> yeah like yeah you, it makes sense too like if you uh if you buy a 20 dollar pair of shoes it's probably only gonna last you a couple months and then in two months you're gonna have to buy another 20 pair of shoes and then another and another and then over the course of a year you're actually probably spending more on shoes than a person who bought an 80 dollar pair of shoes would that makes sense. It's just like with these little tournaments, people who are just say they have a hundred dollars and they just play $1 and $2 and $3 tournaments, like the solo shot and stuff. A lot of people don't realize this, but the lower the tournament, a lot of times the rake is a lot higher by six, seven, 8%. So it actually costs you more to quote unquote, be poor or to play lower stakes than it does the high stakes. You know, if I'm playing the Thunderdome, and, you know, I have thousands of dollars invested. Yeah, they're still making a lot of money off of me for the rake, but it's actually a much smaller percentage than the people who are playing $5 tournaments. So that's something to think about too, guys. Like, it's so fun to play tournaments, but like I said, that is really where they get you with the rake. It is much higher in GPPs than it is in head-to-heads. Yeah, on, on that same note, what I would suggest to people that want the big payday, instead of playing the $3 for like $200 to first, Go play the thirty-three or the twenty-seven dollar like nine-person max or nine max entry. Because yep. even if you just barely cash, you're gonna cash for like forty bucks or something. Where you're still getting a better payday than if your three dollars hit, you get like five bucks now. Yep. And you're still sitting there going, "What just happened?" Yep. Flatter, flatter payout structures. Look for that too. Yeah. Everybody is chasing the first place prize. The chances of you winning first is like very, very slim. But look, try to make money. You know what I mean? Two extra money is trick yourself into thinking that doubling your money is fun because it is fun. And that's what's going to keep you playing. Bingo. All right. You mentioned Fangraphs is one of your favorite sites of all. Is there any other sites you use for your research or is it pretty much all one-stop shop? Um, I use Fangraphs a lot. Um, I read a lot of columnists and stuff. I, I, I subscribe to Baseball Perspectives, which is behind a paywall, but um, I think it's $40 a year. I would highly recommend that you guys do that. I mean, the analysis there is second to none. They have a lot of their own proprietary stats like DRA, which is discerned run average. It basically takes ERA and it takes FIP and it takes all these different things, but it also adds in things like um, uh, uh, an umpire's uh, proclivity for calling strikes if they have a different strike zone. It takes into account weather, humidity. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that it factors into it. It's a much more accurate predictor of future success than any other stat that we have for pitching. Um, like when I talked about Chris Archer earlier, his DRA last season was fantastic. Like he was basically like a top 10 pitcher and nobody knew it just because his ERA was elevated. You see what I'm saying? Um, so I use baseball perspectives a lot. 
Um, I use Rotogrinders a lot. A lot of their uh, tools uh, for like splits and stuff like that. They break down like Woba and matchups and weather. They have all that stuff kind of you know accumulated together. Um, other than that, not a whole lot. I mean, I'm I'm more of like an articles type of person. I don't use a lot of tools. I don't use a lot of optimizers. Um, I'm just I, I like to read is what I like to do. I like to read. I like to get on Twitter. I like to follow a ton of beat writers and know what's going on with individual players and teams and stuff. Um, but Fangraphs is my joint. That's where I spend most of my time. Fangraphs is amazing. I, I'm not the biggest. Um, I'm not against any of the stat stuff at all. I just mm-hmm. like I said when I first started out, just being cash. It's just I just use my common knowledge of the game that I've grown up watching my whole life, right. and I could put together that stuff. The more I've slowly learned it, and by far I'm still not even close to the level of you and Brock and some of the other guys we talked to when it comes to understanding, you know, Woba and DRA, all that stuff. I'm learning. Um, I definitely recommend the sites he mentioned for that because Baseball Prospectus, I believe it is, mm-hmm. um, they have like a whole glossary page to just like learn stuff off. And yep. I think it was Prospectus, just tons of stuff. Um, Fangraphs is amazing. I read an article last night. It took me a while because, like I said, I'm not a big stats guy, but I'm learning. Just <laughs> an article, it was on the Cubs, like five to 10 year projections. This guy broke down every possible scenario on war and everything else. It's a phenomenal article. It might take you a while to wrap your head around it, but it's a phenomenal <laughs> article. So he breaks down all 30 teams, salary-wise, years of contracts, blah, 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 of why yep. this team will excel. And it's amazing because if you look at who's been excelling lately, they're all at the top. It makes 1,000% sense. Yep. Um, so basically it justifies these stats is what I'm trying to say. Um, like Yancey, I follow a ton of beat writers, a ton. I People look at me and they go, why do you follow like 1,100 people? Well, if you really want to break it down, I, follow, <laughs> I, I, I know it's a lot compared to some, but I follow like multiple beat writers for a team because yeah. you never know what comes out. Like it's just crazy. And so I'm always doing that. And one thing I do, but I work out of my vehicle all day, so it's easier for me. I am a podcast whore. That's like Yancey's a podcast whore because he's always on podcasts. I'm a podcast but I, I, artist. But I'm a consumer. I'm also a consumer. I, I love yeah. podcasts. I, I love them. And they're free. Guys, I listen, they're free. I listen. Yeah. <laughs> I listen. There's so much good knowledge out there. It's unbelievable. I mentioned I mentioned names. I, I'm saying it. Sammy's on, on one. Baseball Holics Anonymous. Amazing podcast. Paul Spore, who we talked about his team earlier, does his fan graphs. He's, during the season, I believe he says he do four a week. One of them on the weekends where it's all waiver wire stuff. Like there is – so much friends of the fantasy benefits. I'm going to start plugging them all in pretty soon. They do one every day. Like there is content for hours, all free, all free, really good guys. And you'll see, you'll hear a lot of these guys like Yancey and other guys. They all intertwine and work with each other on these podcasts. Lots of quality information. I highly recommend that. If you don't have time to sit there and go over a computer or whatever, and you're just commuting, find one or two that you really like, hit me up on Twitter. Yeah. Any of us up, we'll help you with ideas. There's tons of them. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with I you, recommend that. The, the, the fantasy community is incredibly inclusive. Uh, you know, yeah. just a couple of years ago, I was just a random guy on Twitter with like 100 followers. And I just liked fantasy baseball. And none of my family and friends like it down here. I'm the only one. I, I never grew up with baseball. Nobody in my family likes it. And so I just started going on Twitter and just following people and interacting with people. And even people with a, a lot of followers, they will interact with you and follow you back and invite you on their show. And you can come on theirs and... Um, you'd be surprised at how gracious the fantasy baseball community is with their time. Uh, there's a lot of information out there, but 
like I said, these people are, are very, very welcoming. They're very gracious. And it's like the coolest little community, seriously. Um, if there's like one like uh, request of your listeners, it's like if you guys reach out to me, if you guys follow me on Twitter, um, I get a lot of like, you know, spam bots and, and random accounts and stuff like that. Or, you know, people trying to get me to like sell stuff for them. Let me know. I would love to reach out to you guys. Uh, I consider this like a huge community. Bubba, we've become really, really good friends in the last two years just by back and forth, whatever. Having never met in person, you know, you live out there on the West Coast. I'm over here on the East Coast. But it, uh, it's a, I'm, being, I'm being all like sappy right now, but it really is a, a cool fantasy community. No, it is. And um, since I started doing Bench with Bubba, like I said, it's only episode 32. But um, I reached out to you because I know you've built in the community for guys to record with recently, literally you gave me a name. You might've talked to them real briefly or whatever. It took me like 30 seconds. Sure. I'll be on your podcast. And they've all been great guests. They all want to come back and do it again. Um, Like you said, they're so welcoming. Like everybody just cool down to earth people. The most important thing they like baseball. That's all. We all share the same thing. That helps. (laughs) It's very simple. (laughs) Very simple. Um, But yeah, off the sappy train, which I really, I really like. I, I want to keep going there, but yeah, it's, a, it's adorable. Office. It's a good look for you, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate it. I can't even look at you now. Um, when you, so we've talked about building lineups. You know, you got your cash lineups, your GPP lineups. Um, when you're building your lineups, what's like your main strategy when you start? Not, obviously, not the finished product where you start, you know, mm-hmm. tinkering. What's like? What do you? How do you approach building your lineup? Uh, so the first thing I always look at is starting pitcher matchups. I want to see who's pitching, uh, and I, I I can tell immediately, just like your listeners can. You guys know which pitchers are good, which ones aren't, with pretty remarkable accuracy. People know who is good and who is not. I get a baseline of just who's starting, what the schedule looks like, how many teams are playing. Um, Coors Field is one of the first things I look at. I try to see, if is it a Coors field home game oh is it i know exactly what most of these lineups are going to look like um from there i go to bovada or you know i go to any of the online sports books i want vegas odds i want implied team totals i want to see what the over under is for a specific game that's on those things that we do not know they have databases with just so much proprietary information that they're they're creating these numbers from and if you just use vegas lines to bet all season long you know, and to kind of like cater your lineups to targeting certain lineups or certain pitchers, um, you're going to do much better than you would just using your own information. These guys, you know, year over year, they make money almost every single year because of this. So Vegas odds are incredibly, incredibly important. Um, After that, I start looking at weather. Um, I, for the most part with cash games, I don't like to get cute with games that are potential rainouts, especially with starting pitchers. I might use hitters because, you know, if a starting pitcher starts and then, you know, through two innings, it starts raining and there's a 45 minute delay, uh, more often than not, they're not going to bring him back out. They will go ahead and make that a bullpen game, but the, the hitters are fine. They'll bring them back out. Uh, so things like that, I'd like to pay attention to injuries. I'm always taking uh, note of injuries and I, I, I immediately, once I've done all that, I kind of get like a rough idea of what the slate looks like. I start looking at pricing. Um, I always start with the pitchers first. I identify who I kind of want to, uh, you know, the most obvious as far as like a, who has the highest upside as far as strikeouts, who's in a pitching in a really good ballpark for pitchers. Like, a, for instance, like a Kansas City is a great pitcher's ballpark. The uh, Tropicana for Tampa is a great pitcher's ballpark. Ballparks that I avoid, obviously, Coors Field. I don't want to run my pitcher out in Camden Yards in Baltimore. I don't want them to pitch in Texas in the summer. You know, excuse me, things like that. Um, and then I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, before I even build up my hitters, I'm 
constantly waiting. I don't really build lineups until I start seeing lineups come in. And that's where I start identifying value. So if there's a player who's the min sal, which is $2,000 for a hitter, I'm not considering him until I see like, wait, what the hell? He is all of a sudden batting second because there was an injury and he's $2,000. You see what I'm saying? Um, then that player becomes on my radar. And all through the day, as I'm acquiring you know, these little pieces of information from Twitter and from MLB trade rumors and you know, whatever information I can get from Rotor Grinders and you know, podcasts and stuff that I'm listening to, um, I just keep like a rolling list. I have like a note. I have a Google spreadsheet that I'm keeping all, all this little, these little pieces of information in there so I can go back to them. And then uh, probably about 4.30 to 5 o'clock, whenever the lineups start trickling in, I start building my lineups. I'll build multiple variations of my cash lineups. Sometimes, depending if like there are a lot of really good options, there's a lot of really you know obvious plays, but you say there's four third basemen, you can't use them all, obviously. I might hedge just a little bit, and I might build two or three different cash lineups. Um, and with tournaments, sometimes I've only built one tournament lineup and rolled it out there. Sometimes I've built 50 tournament lineups and built them all by hand. It just really depends on what my my, my time looks like that night, if how much I like the slate, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's kind of, I'll say this with, with fantasy baseball, with daily fantasy baseball, every single day I spend hours working on it. Um, as soon as I get up, I, like I said, I, before I get ready for work, I'm looking up stats and and information and schedules on my phone, on my 15 minute breaks and my 30 minute breaks and my lunch breaks at work. I'm looking at it. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm combing Twitter. I'm taking notes. I have a notepad that I take to work every single day. People think it's dorky as hell. Um, whatever, you know what I mean? And then like, I'll show them like screenshots and stuff like that. They're like, Oh, okay. I get it. I see why you do it now. You see what I'm saying? Um, but all day guys, like if you want to be successful, you have to put the work in. There are so many people like Bubba, like myself, like our buddy, Brad, like Sammy, you know, that, that this is their, this is like their main hobby. This is something that they really enjoy. They spend a lot of time on this. They have experience. They're going into this with a huge head start over you. Uh, do not expect to, you know, start building lineups at 6.30 at night, you know, just 30 minutes before lineups lock and being competitive night in and night out. Uh, if you want to win over a, an extended period of time, you've got to put the time in. You've got to find as much information as you can. You've got to reach out to people who know what they're doing and partner with them. Like Sammy has made me so sharp. Brock, Ryan Noonan, guys like that, that, you know, iron child prints iron. If you think you're good, go find somebody else and wean ideas off of them. That's like my biggest piece of advice. Like there is always more to be learned. There's so much information to assimilate. And if, if you don't have any type of like social, like support system or whatever, I think you're missing out on a lot of really, really useful information. That was outstanding. Um, that was really good. I, I'm just going to go. I was taking notes as you were talking. So Sorry, this I talk a lot, like, dude. It's terrible. No, 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 no. No, this is kind of like when we. This is kind of like when we build lineups. We have our notepads. It's funny you mentioned you have a notepad. I either have because I do a, a DFS podcast once in a while, so I have all my notes on that, and then I'll take that with me all day. Yep. Or I have the notes app on my iPhone, where literally every time I hear something, I go into that notes app, and it literally it says MLB DFS, and I just change the date every morning, and I just keep yep. adding. It's like a scrolling page of stuff, yep. and then I just open it up and start building like. There's always something going when a beat writer posts something or this or that, the other. What I want to say is um, I love the fact you brought up Vegas and the way you brought them up because I mentioned it with like the college basketball tournament is don't look at seedings, look at what Vegas is saying. Vegas is very intelligent people. The lights mm-hmm. stay on for a reason. Yeah, um, <laughs> This is how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love looking at over-unders. A, you can look at the high ones if you're going to build cash because – 
Obviously, they think that's where the offense is coming from. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. No, but your chances are a lot higher if Vegas is saying, okay, you know, a normal place, like say even a, say a game in Kansas City, like you said, where most over-unders are like seven to eight roughly, usually seven and a half. Yep. Now all of a sudden, one night, they're like, oh, Kansas City's got an over-under of nine. Okay, that opens my eyes. I need to go see what the heck's going on in Kansas City. Yeah. And um, I love I love that concept. Team totals are huge. Uh, you don't have to have an account anymore, people. You can Google this stuff. There's so many free sites you can go on to and look things up. Mm-hmm. Team totals are very, very important, especially if you go on a site like Fangraphs or others where you have, like, as the season gets going early on, it's tough. But as the season gets going, you get your, um, like, what their average team total per game is. Now, when Vegas puts out a line that's a run or a run and a half higher, okay, there's a time to target this team now. That might not be a normal team to target. GPP-wise, this could be good. Um, love that. Weather, I'm a big person on weather because I'm not a risky player. Given GPPs, it's good to be risky at time. Mm-hmm. I hate it when a game gets rained out two innings in and you're absolutely screwed. Yeah, Killer. especially in tournaments. Especially in tournaments. Okay, so, so say I say I know that a game is going to have rain, so I fade the both starting pitchers on that side, right? But I'm like, you know what? I, I really like one hitter in that matchup, though. I'm just going to plug in one hitter. Say that rain de- that that rain. Say that game does get canceled because of rain. If you have one player with a zero and a GPP, you're done. You're 100 percent done. You may min cash, but there you have zero chance of winning a GPP with a zero. It is impossible. So like taking that into consideration too, like. Yes, sometimes it's going to pay off, but you know, over over the course of an entire season, just like you said with the Vegas totals, are they always right? Is Vegas always right? No, they're not. But if you if you're making a thousand decisions, right, at a higher clip than you are, so why wouldn't you use information from professionals who, like you said, are keeping the lights on every single day, like during the NCAA tournament? We were just picking Vegas fav- favorites for the most part. You know what I mean? I mean, like in the first round, who was it? Like. Uh, Wichita State was a 10 seed and Dayton was a seven and everybody is picking a seven seed simply because, well, they're the higher seed. No, that doesn't mean anything. This, the, the selection committee is retarded. Sorry. That's not a PC word. My, my apologies. Um, but not a PC podcast. It's okay. You know, but if you use, if you use Vegas totals or you, you would know that East Tennessee state was actually a favorite. They were a first round favorite by one and a half points. Those things matter. Just use, use as many tools as you possibly have, especially free resources like Vegas odds, like Roto grinders, like these, beat writers like these podcasts you don't have to be super rich guys like like just to like give you guys like a little inside i started out with like 50 dollars and i grinded quarter arcade you can literally play tournaments for a quarter you can max it It used to be what was it 500 yeah you used to be able to put 500 in now i think it's 50 because so many people fill them up but you can you can go to rotor grinders for free okay you can use their optimizer the lineup builder for free you can get all the players you want it can it can assemble 50 different combinations for you. You can spend $12.50 and then max enter the quarter arcade. And you have all of the advantages that these big boys do as far as building lineups. Like the excuse that, oh, well, yeah, they're building 500 lineups. Of course they're going to win. No, in the Millionaire Maker, when there's 250,000 entries and they only have 500, guess what? They have less than half a percent chance of winning. And yet the same guys always are. So what does that tell you? They're using other information. They're researching. They're working hard. They're grinding. They're treating this seriously like a job. Um, I used to play poker semi-professionally. And when I say semi, I mean like semi-semi-professionally. I was 16 years old. I was playing full tilt. I did Ironman every single month. So I was playing 300,000 plus hands a month, playing one cent, two cent, grinding multi-tables at once, right? 
But I took it seriously, even as an adult, when I was 21 years old playing in casinos and dog tracks, I never drank. I never, you know, I, I, I never brought friends or anything like that. I went there. I wasn't social. I didn't have headphones in or anything like that. I was there to grind with this. Like I said, there's so many people who are so competitive at this. This is their lifestyle. This is how they put food on their table. Take this seriously. If you want to have fun, you just want to throw in a couple bullets here or there. That's fine. But if you want to put any type of serious money on this and actually be good over the course of an entire season or multiple seasons, you got to take this serious and you got to treat it like a job. And the reason why you got to plan it the way you're talking about is baseball is such a goofy game. It's such a long season. You're going to have two to three week spells where you don't make a dollar. Yeah. So you, like, yeah, like, or it yeah. just drains. <laughs> but you need to have the discipline. But then you're going to have two to three week spells where it seems like it doesn't matter what lineup you put out. It's just green line, green line, green line all over the place. It's mm-hmm. just it's baseball. Baseball is so crazy. That's why. That's why when you look at a baseball schedule, sorry, tangent, it's like 162 games. When you look at projections for teams win losses, everyone already says, okay, give them 60 wins and 60 losses. Now what do they do at the last third of the season? Yep. That's how it always works in baseball. It'll be the same in DFS. But do your research, you'll be fine. Like um, bringing you back to the weather, like GPP-wise, if you're going to be aggressive and play the weather game, go all in. Don't just play one guy. Like you said, because if you lose one guy, yeah. you're going to lose anyways. Go all in and go full fate, like uh, yeah. everything else. Um, I like how you do those things. Then you look at prices. A lot of people look at prices first. I can go, I do it a lot. I'll get bored the night before and start looking at prices. I like how you do that. Basically, you already have a mindset without even any bias involved. I like that philosophy a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lineups, I can't agree with that enough. I'll make some li- my own personal lineups, then I'll see ones get released. If I see like I think it was like Kiermaier in years past, or like the, the Rays are always really good at it. Yeah. Um, they'll put sneaky guys at the top of the order that have huge value all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So yep. definitely be able to bob and weave. And um, one thing I will definitely say, especially more so in GPPs, but cash is just all the same in theory. You don't have to use your whole budget. People always think you have to use the whole fifty k. Yeah. If you have a very good lineup that has quote unquote good projections and everything, and you still have you know a few hundred dollars, a few thousand dollars, even that's kind of crazy on a thousand dollars, but mm-hmm. a few hundred bucks, there's nothing wrong with that. I made a golf lineup two weeks ago with all eight k and below players. I had twenty something hundred dollars, three thousand left over, and they all cashed in GPPs and caches. They didn't mm-hmm. hit the big money, but they cashed. Mm-hmm. You don't have to max things out, people. Um, and the same but can be right. said for any sport, too. We did that in NASCAR, too. Guys, yeah. we, Bubba and I, well, we're, yeah, we're grinding doing... NASCAR. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you guys, Yancey, this is why I keep saying his brain. I love Yancey. Even this, even last night in golf, because I watch a lot of golf, and Brad plays a lot of golf, Yancey comes in and goes, hey, here's my lineups. Who do you think are the high-owned guys? Give me some low-owned guys. So he comes yeah. back this morning with three lineups just out of nowhere, and yeah. it's just – but it's I, perfect for GPP. So you got to have that mindset though. And that's what we did in NASCAR. Same thing. It's just like, we don't know what the heck we're doing, but <laughs> it works out. Dude, crazy stuff happens, dude. In, in, in golf and in baseball and NASCAR, the first week of NASCAR in Daytona, 35 cars were involved in a wreck. So guess what? There's only 40 cars. That means there's, there were five cars that were not involved in a wreck. So just pick, make a lineup with five wonky ass drivers or 
you know, make a stack, make a team stack with an offense that isn't projected to score high. You know, don't do it every single night because you're going to be behind the eight ball, but occasionally mix things up like that. Take a chance on a, on a game that looks like it's going to be a rain out, you know, things like that. Always be thinking about how you can be different, how you can differentiate yourself. And like you said too, leave in three or $400. What that does, some people would say that that's not optimal. Um, I get what they're saying because the one resource that you have is your salary cap. And if you don't use all of it, you're actually leaving a resource on the table. I get that dollar points and stuff like that. That does make sense. But oftentimes, especially whenever there are really obvious value plays and you use all the way up to like your full max, like $50,000, you are the chances of you having a completely unique lineup are very, very slim. You're going to see a lot of people with the exact same combination that you have. That's why you always want to leave a little bit of money left on the table like that. Completely agree. Um, man, we covered a lot of stuff here. I'm looking to see what else we could go over. Um, Huta, are you ready for this weekend? Dude, I'm so ready. I Like I said, they're supposed to be releasing a slate for the Sunday game. There's three games on Sunday, six teams. They've, they've made slates of worse three-game slates than this, and this is opening weekend. I would be stunned if they don't, but I've been doing a ton of research uh, – I mean, I, I feel like I know the player pool extremely, extremely well. I still got to kind of comb through the, uh, you know, like the dollar values and stuff. And uh, first weekend is really tough, guys. I will say this. Don't go all in on anything. Uh, there are a lot of unknowns right now uh, as far as, um, you know, pitchers who you think were bad in the spring. Uh, they may have just been working on a pitch type or, or sequencing or they have a new catcher or uh, they were slowly ramping up intentionally. Things like that. Um, or, you know, hitters. There's a new 10-day DL this year, and we don't know who's going to be on the disabled list. We don't know what lineups are going to look like. Um, there's just a lot of information to take in. I, As excited as I am, I would just be reticent about going all in and spending a ton of your bankroll because we have a really, really limited data set to go by. So just make smart decisions. Uh, don't overextend your bankroll. Have fun with it. Obviously, this is about having fun. If it's not fun, then I know I've been kind of like a militant, like describing like how serious you have to be and how you know you have to work really hard at it. But um, do have fun. I enjoy the hell out of it. Um, I mean, you know this, dude. Like, I there's nothing better than this. It's the best time of the year. Um, I, I mean, can we come on tomorrow and talk about this again? <laughs> I mean, I, I, we, I said, we just yeah. put in two hours, but I mean, it's 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 so much fun, dude. And like I said, if you guys have know, any questions, I, please reach out to me. Like, I would I would love to talk to you guys. I'd love to reach out to people like that. Don't be a stranger. Like, Bubba and I are 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 always looking to to kind of like bring people into the fold. Like it's a, it's, it's one, one big happy community when it comes to DFS. Yeah. That's why I've always said, as long as I haven't been busy, I used to respond to everybody that tweets me stuff. Like it's not, it's not that I'm ignoring you. It's like, I love talking baseball with pretty much anybody that wants to talk baseball, mm-hmm. especially fantasy baseball. So uh, I know we talked about it last time you're on and we did it again tonight. I can sit and talk to you for hours about this stuff. So I will definitely have you back again sometime. Um, yeah, sure. It's awesome. His information is great, people. Check out his podcast, Dear Mr. Fantasy. Really good stuff there. If you want to go off the sports path and go a little mainstream media or old school, mm-hmm. whatever you're feeling, because his co-host, Chris McBrien, really takes you back. Go yeah. Pop Goes Your World. Awesome podcast. It won't be two hours long like this. It'll be you know, <laughs> 30 to 45 minutes. Yeah, um, A lot of good stuff on there. Uh, just awesome stuff. You can check them out on Twitter at Yancey Eaton. Uh, anything else you'd like to say, my friend? No, I mean, I think that covers it. Just uh, thank you for having me on again. Obviously I hope to do this uh, very, very soon. I'll have you on my podcast too. And uh, like I said, guys, don't be a stranger on Twitter. Hit me up. And uh, this was a lot of fun. Two hours strong. My wife is so pissed off. 
Yeah. Uh, my, my wife keeps texting me. She's at the grocery store wondering what I need. And I'm sitting there going, oh, <laughs> wait yeah. a minute. But uh, awesome, man. Thank you so much. We'll do this again. Uh, everybody, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 32. Just fancy baseball, fancy DFS, you name it. We talked about it. It was a great time. Enjoy the opening weekend. We'll catch you guys next time. Hey, Scott. What brings you in at the pharmacy? I'm thinking about getting one of the updated COVID-19 vaccines. Great. Do you know which type of vaccine you'd like? There's more than one. Yep, there are different types of vaccines available. You can learn more about them at wedovaccines.com. If you have questions or want to make an appointment, give me a call. What was that website again? wedovaccines.com. Thanks. I'll check it out. This message was brought to you by Novavax.